Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the last night of Casino Road, Southern Showdown, and previewing the first night of the G1 Climax in Dallas, as well as answering your questions and, of course, covering all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Head over to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe to sign up to get all the podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by powerslam.tv. PowerSlam TV is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 5,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your first month free. Also, make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash SOCIALSUPLEX. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. And this week, we are joined by one half of Grown Men Watch This Shit. All the way from Australia, Chris Bryan. Hey, guys. What's going on? Good to be on the mothership of uh, Social Suplex, as it would be. Yeah, man. We're glad to have you on, man. Yeah, yeah. Happy to be here, dude. Uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to, to this one. I am a bit of a, a New Japan watcher, and we don't get to talk all that much about the New Japan over at Grown Man Watch This Shit. Uh, with it being a bit more indie-centric. So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to talk some New Japan today. Nice, man. Yeah, I've uh, I've wanted Chris to be on this show for quite a while. If you guys don't know, uh, I believe you're – Jeremy, your man crush uh, in the social suplex is probably who, Ricky? Yeah. That's your – my man crush is Chris Bryant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. And so we've, we've known him for uh, – you know, over a year now, man. Yeah, it's two years. We met him at uh, WrestleMania weekend in New Orleans, 
we were um, we just got done watching uh, what show was that? Uh, the Mercury Rising WWN uh, Super Show, and we are waiting in line for what Joey Janela's Spring Break. Well, Chris, Chris, and Ben were sitting with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the, at, the, at the show first, and we were all just like gabbing and you know, being being belligerent fans as we might be sometimes. We <laughs> had a few drinks, and uh, then like yeah, then we just like kind of palled around and we stayed around for Joy Janelle Spring Break. And the one thing I'll tell you about Chris, if anybody listens to the show, you guys will know. I sometimes I make mistakes, but I know a lot about wrestling, and I, I say I don't say that in a cocky way. It's just true. Chris is one of the few people I've ever met where I've been like, dang. This guy knows a lot about wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's some somewhat of a compliment in there. <laughs> Maybe not not in terms of being a well-rounded human being, but at least for wrestling knowledge. No, Chris, Chris is a great guy. <laughs> we we, uh, we got to hang out this past uh, summer in New York, or I don't know, April in New York. Yeah, uh, WrestleMania weekend this year in New York. We had the uh, the live Suplex Mania podcast uh, from Hooters and. Uh, so happy to have Chris and Jeremy uh, join us for that thing. That was a lot of fun and hanging out and just chatting. That was fun. You're eating wings, you're watching Mania, chatting. So that was fun. And uh, and Chris and uh, John, shout out to John, John Denver. Yeah, the uh, the Mexican uh, reporter, right? Might, might, have, might, have, <laughs> might have passed me a little something at the USA versus the World show. And I was, uh, yeah, I was messed up for the entirety of the day, all the way through <laughs> NXT. <laughs> Oh, that was a fun time. That, that, was a, a good, that was a good breakfast that we had after that show. And, like, you, you just kind of drifting away from us there, you know? Um, keep it together, man. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, uh, tell us, you know, whenever we bring on a guest to the show, we always, uh, you know, want to introduce you to people. Um, you know, let's start by uh, you just telling us a little bit. How did you start watching New Japan and even just per resume in general? Yeah, yeah, cool. So, um, I originally, at the first ever New Japan, I remember watching, uh, and I don't know if this like shows my age a little bit, but like we used to have like this awesome like VHS rental store in uh, Brisbane, Australia. It was kind of like a retro thing at the time because like DVDs were already a thing, but there was like this place called Trash Video and they would specialize in like old school, like exploitation films, like pimp films, like all sort of old weird horror movies and shit. And they had this like wrestling section. I don't know about you guys. Anytime I go into a video rental store, I, you know, make a, just go straight to that wrestling section section in a sports section and just hope that they've got something in there and uh they did uh but i was wowed because in addition to the um you know the the stuff you expect to see there from like wwf at the time or whatever there was like some uh japanese wrestling uh stuff there and it was like um, it was like a New Japan best of i think and the thing that caught my eye was there was a, a brody Noki match on there and, like, I'd already by that point, you know, known a bit about the legend of Bruiser Brody. Um, so I, I just popped this in and, oh, man, <laughs> like, just sort of, like, getting all of the nostalgia and everything of, of 80s New Japan was, was such a great entrance point. Um, you know, all of the crowds were just so molten and, and the personalities were so over the top and, you know, you could get some bullshit finishes and that, but just the, the actual feeling of it. And then, you know, you you go from there into your, your, your comp tapes and your, your best ofs. And then I think I really started watching like regularly 
uh, in terms of the current product, probably like the early 2000s. I remember like start of 2003, um, there was some, some great stuff in there. At the time, uh, I, I remember seeing like the awesome, um, I guess, well, just, I love that, that Enochism kind of era from the early 2000s. <laughs> like just a different vibe, you know, and it, I hate it when you hear people say these are like the dark ages of, of New Japan, but like there was such like a real small, real sport fight atmosphere and like a, and feeling of danger and anything could happen at any time. And, and I just, I just loved that. Um, and then, you know, fast forward and, and we had some, some great stuff. Uh, even like there was, you know, a period where it fell off, I think, was it when, when Choshu was ousted as Booker and we had a few years there where it was kind of like a bit crap. And I was honestly, I've always been more of a Noah fan than I have like a new Japan fan through the two thousands. Um, but, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of, and we're going to ask you a couple other questions, but going back is, to that. that I, when it did. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, going back to that uh, Inoki match, was that the one hour draw from 83? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. How, how hot was New Japan back in those 80s? Those 80s crowds, they were just molten, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've even gone back recently to watch some of the stuff, like from, I think, 84. Um, some of those matches, like, between even, like, the, the Choshu matches. There was one big show I watched recently, Choshu and, and Inoki. Um, and, oh, man, you, you can't even compare it. Like, a lot of people kind of say that the current New Japan and Okada and stuff is, like, you know, the, the peak of, of, you know, Japanese wrestling um, or New Japan, but... I don't know. You, you compare it to back then and you're like the, the littlest thing would just get just the craziest, most molten reaction. It was just so exciting. Awesome. So uh, tell us who your favorite new Japan wrestler is. Right. So that's, that's a tough question, obviously, because I've, I've got a lot of favorites, you know, I'm a, a big, big fan of like Hashimoto. Like one of my first favorites was, was Mudo. Um, I've been like really into Minoru Suzuki. Like he's probably been my, my most recent favorite. Um, I mean, but all time, I am going to have, uh, and like, you know, Inoki as well, obviously. A lot of people hate on Inoki, but he's, he's a, just an all, all-time legend, you know. But I think for me, that the one that's sort of been the current through all of my watching of New Japan and just like always my favorite part, really, even like up to some of his matches this year, uh, Yuji Nagata. Nice, yes, Yuji Nagata. Nagata's a man. For a second, I thought you were going to say Fujiwara. I was, I'm a little surprised. <laughs> oh, I do have a lot of love for Fujiwara, though. That's awesome. And uh, one match, one match only, favorite New Japan match all time. Right. So another ridiculously hard one. Uh, <laughs> and and as uh, Courtney will, will tell you, whenever I have, whenever you're asking me favourites, my definition of favourite is normally a bit different to others in that it spans about five to ten things, <laughs> as opposed to favourite meant to be one. Um, but you know, I'm going to narrow it down to to one. I was having a little bit of think about this, but I think the uh, New Japan UWF Elimination Tag. Um, I. To me, that's like just the, the, the peak of, of a molten crowd, like promotion versus promotion. 
Um, and, and it's got all of your favorites in there. You know, you were talking about Anoki, you were talking about Fujinami, um, even like Kengo Kimura, um, and, and then on the UWF side, all of my boys. And, and Josh, you know how much I love shoot style wrestling. Um, but, you know, Maeda, Fujiwara, Takada, and the man, uh, Kazuo Yamazaki. So, yeah, that, that New, New Japan UWF elimination tag um, from 86 is, is going to be my my all-time favorite New Japan match. You like that match, and, and just going off on a small tangent, you like that elimination match better than the Ishin Gundan um, elimination match from 83? I mean, you're talking – I mean, both are great, but I think I love this one more probably in an emotional way because of my connection and love for, like, UWF through the years. Yeah. And especially those guys that I've just sort of mentioned and, and just the, the heat and that, like my Ada and Fujiwara are probably like two of my favorite wrestlers of all time. So when you got them and the, just that intense, like heat and, and hatred and representing your promotion versus another promotion, it's like, I don't know that, that to me was everything. I go back between those two matches the same way I go back between Nas and, uh, and um, Jay Z, like one day I'll think Jay Z. <laughs> one day I think Jay Z the best, and the next day I hear Nas, and I'm like, if I watch either of those two matches, I'll immediately be convinced it's the it's the match of the '80s. But then I'll go back and yeah. watch the other elimination tag, and I'm like, oh no, that UWF one, you can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we started doing a new gimmick here on the show a couple of weeks ago with the. Uh, recommended match of the week and since you are the guest this week Chris you get to give uh, the listeners uh, your recommendation for match of the week oh and and here's the thing with that so at first because we try to keep it you know relevant to maybe what's going on at first I was going to tell Chris I was like recommend us a good G1 since the G1's coming up but then I thought to myself I don't want to box this man in (laughs) I know he's got a gem for us so take your liberty, man. Whatever you think is, is your recommended <laughs> match, because I know you've got a banger out there for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, again, went a bit to and fro on this one because, like, there's, there's so much of a breadth of options here, especially, like, that, that 80s stuff that I was just putting over, like, crazy stuff that I just loved. Um, you know, like the Nagata match with Minoru Suzuki um, or, the like, the, the one back in 2012, wasn't it? Got mm-hmm. the big, big five. Uh, but then I, I was like, no, I have to go something a little bit that maybe some of our, the listeners here haven't haven't shone as much of a light on to. Uh, you know, maybe from that period that I was talking there, those dark days where a lot of people just thought, oh, New Japan sucked back then, so it's not really anything to watch. Um, and I, I went back and I was like, actually, I know the match. I know the match straight away. <laughs> um and I, I thought it would be kind of uh, relevant, you know, as we go into the G1, two men who actually have history in the G1, uh, one more so than the other. Uh, so it is a Yuji Nagata title defense. Um, and we all know Yuji Nagata's great history in the, the G1. Um, and this is from one of my favorite IWGP heavyweight title runs of all time. He had just some fantastic defenses during this period. People need to get onto it. Uh, but this one in particular uh, was from 2002. Uh, it was Yuji Nagata defending the title against the man, Kazunari Murakami. Oh, I love this match. 
I have not seen this match yet, but you know, definitely based off your recommendation, I know you only recommend the good stuff, Chris. So I'm definitely going to check this out this week. Tell us Thanks, just, yeah. just a real brief synopsis, real brief, you know, tell us what you like. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so just the, the pure absolute hatred involved in this match is one of the best things in the world. No one in the world captures the just mean mug of Murakami, like, as much as him. Uh, it's almost like, you know, Loki's kind of evil gimmick was almost inspired to me in a lot of ways by Murakami. Um, and, and, yeah, it's just nuts to me that a lot of people don't necessarily know that much about Murakami. But, yeah, this these guys have some history going into this match, and then this is just, like, everything. Everything, man. So, I uh, it, it's actually not on New Japan World, which it's I was... Not. Yeah, it made me really sad when I saw that. I'm like, how is this possible? However, um, I uh, do have a, a YouTube uh, link to it, actually an unlisted video, strangely enough, so I can definitely um, share that one with you guys so you can put it on the page. Yeah, definitely. We'll put it in the, the show notes for this episode, so if anybody listening wants to go ahead and take a watch for that. I'm, I'm telling you guys, go out of your way to see this. It is violent. It is vicious. The storytelling is... It's one of the best storytelling matches in the history of New Japan, and it might be my favorite Nagata match, actually. Mm, there's blood happening. Uh, the bit where Murakami gets um, gets Nagata in a, a cross face, uh, and this blood is pouring down on the forearm. He releases it, and then just the most badass visual of all time, he just licks that blood off of that forearm. And <laughs> yeah, no nice. one looks more evil in that moment than Kazunari Murakami. Favorite. And the rematch in 2006 was great too. But We, we actually I mean, watched that match. But the, yeah, um, right. my favorite moment of the match is Murakami's arm's been attacked all, all match long due to the fact that obviously Nagata's going to uh, put on the cross arm breaker and Murakami gets him into a, a rear naked choke, but he can't. He can't use he can't use the bad arm. It's bleeding and it's mm-hmm. battered. And just when he thinks he has the match one, and Nagata just grabs that arm, it's it's beautiful. It's so violent and vicious. Yeah, yeah. That that's my kind of New Japan, really. Just the most violent, vicious variation of strong style you can possibly imagine. That's that's where it's at to me. Nice. So uh, <laughs> now we're going to. Um, Talk about some current New Japan. Um, so last week, June 25th, they had the last show of the Kizuna uh, Road Tour. And this was a rough one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> had an award for, uh, you know, worst match or worst, worst show of the year. I'm not saying this was the worst show, but it could make or like most forgettable show of the year. This could be one of them for sure. Yeah, so we're not going to go through and really break down all the matches because I mean there really wasn't much on the show until you got to the last few matches well there was an undercard match with Juice and Mikey Nichols defeating Tamo, uh, Tonga and Tangaloa which set up a title match for Southern Showdown yeah and we can go through the results real quick Tenzan and Kojima defeated Nagata and Suji at 8 minutes 45 via submission LIJ defeated Kota Ibushi, Togi Makabe, Hanma, Umino, and Narita in a 10-man tag via pinfall, 11 minutes and 15 seconds. The non-title tag match that you just mentioned to set up the future tag match uh, on the next show that we're going to talk about. Uh, Bullet Club defeated the team of Tanahashi, Hanare, Sho, and Yo in 8-man tag action via pinfall, 11 minutes and 10 seconds. And then Okada 
Ishii, Yano, and Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask defeated the team of Suzuki Goon at 11 minutes and 55 seconds via pinfall, which brings us to the uh, semi and main event of the show. Yeah, so we have the Rev Pro British Cruiserweight title on the line as the current champion, ELP El Fantasmo. He defeated Risuke Taguchi in uh, 24 minutes and 10 seconds. And this was pretty much a big comedy match. These guys weren't really going out here trying to have a classic or trying to tear the house down. You know, the normal ass-based offense with Taguchi, pulling the pants down, slapping, a lot of of gimmicks, a lot of antics. Um, So not really a serious title match here. Um, ELP ends up getting the win. Dude, a 24-minute comedy match? Come on. <laughs> so Any, Chris, what do you what are your thoughts on El Fantasmo? Have you seen um, a lot of him? Yeah, yeah, because I, I watched uh, pretty much all of the best of the Super Juniors, um, and that was like really his coming up party. And to start with, I was a little bit touch and go on him. You know, I was like, still Boom. not a fan of that finish. I'm just not a fan of like face bump finishes like that. But um, they're, they're, it was about halfway through the tournament. He just had some banger matches to where I was like, all right. <laughs> This guy can go. You know, that, that Rocky Romero one was just, just oh, out okay. of this world awesome. good. Like, how can you watch that and be like, oh, ELP sucks, you know? He's, he's got something. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was surprised to hear this match that you guys are talking about right now was, like, more comedy fodder. Like, because I was hoping that we'd get a bit more of that, you know, that big match to Gucci that we saw a little bit of in the Best of Super Juniors. But by the sounds of it, not necessarily. Yeah, there was no big match to Gucci, and pretty much everybody on this show, for the most part, didn't seem like they were kind of going all out. They were trying to take it easy. I will say this about Phantasmo, because, Chris, I don't know if you've heard me on the show. I've actually been touch and go with him myself, but I, more more go than touch, I would say. Um, <laughs> but I've actually gone back and watched some of his Rev Pro stuff, because people have been like, mm. you don't know what you're talking about. And, I, and you know what? There's ten, the tendencies that I didn't like about him, I've still seen. I don't like his striking and some of his selling, especially when he's a baby face. But I will say this throughout this tournament, it seems like maybe even as crazy as it sounds, just working in short order on this tour, I've seen vast improvements. And I think that happens mm. for a lot of guys when they work in Japan for the first time. Yeah. 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 hundred percent agree. I, th- I think through the, the best of super juniors, we saw a big time improvement from like when you first having those couple of matches to where it really kind of hit his, hit his um, peak. But yeah, I, I have watched a b- bunch of his Rev Pro stuff as well. Um, it was so strange to see him as such like a white meat baby face in Rev Pro to like then moving over to the New Japan and doing like the Devitt kind of rock and roller gimmick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to start with, I was thinking that a little bit too on the nose, you know, he's got the light up jacket and everything too. And I'm like, yeah, but yeah, he's, he's, he's starting to get over with me. Yeah, um, this was pretty much uh, – Best of Super Junior is pretty much my first real exposure to Phantasmo. Like, I've heard about him and saw clips, but really seeing him wrestle was, you know, that first tag match that he teamed up with um, Taiji against Osprey and Dragon Lee yep. at the uh, Dantaku Tour, and I was sold from that match because I, I love flips. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I was sold then. And then in Best of Super Juniors, I thought he did, uh, I thought he did great, especially, you know, the, that Rocky match, the Osprey match the Eagles match. Um, he had a lot of great matches in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love the charisma. I love the light up jacket. He's the biggest douchebag in the world. You want, <laughs> you want to see him get punched right in the face. 
And yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm loving El Fantasmo right now. Well, he's getting <laughs> over with not just Chris, but also the crowds. Like he's definitely mm-hmm. getting over and he definitely has something here. Um, I think at 24 minutes, this match was a bit too long in the tooth. But at the same time, these guys coming off of a, a very long and very strenuous best of the Super Juniors tour, you know, uh, that's, that you can't blame them too much for kind of taking a night off. Although they were in the semi-main event spot, so you kind of expect more. One thing I do like about this, though, is the spotlight that they're giving to the British Cruiserweight title, which I don't think has ever really been highlighted in New Japan. Right. Kind of making it a prestigious mm. thing, which is kind of nice. Yep, and so then we move to the main event of this night, which was the Rep Pro British Heavyweight Championship match with the champion Zack Sabre Jr. defending against Yoshihashi. Also, Zack Sabre's uh, G1 Climax spot was on the line. Um, this was a fine match. Um, nothing out of, this, out of the water. I mean, Sabre pretty much dominated Yoshihashi for majority of the match. Yoshihashi did have some kind of hope spots and comeback spots, but... You can just kind of tell listening to the crowd that they really didn't believe that Yoshihashi was going to win and weren't really, like, mm-hmm. rallying behind him. Um, but, I mean, it was solid work. You know, Yoshihashi, he gets a lot of flack from a lot of people, even here from us. But in-ring, his in-ring mechanics are very good. He's a solid worker. And, you know, they had a solid match here um, with Sabre getting the referee stoppage with the napalm death um, submission. The orienteering napalm death? Yeah. You go to put the orienteering in there. <laughs> Let me say this. I was um, the total opposite of that crowd because I was on pins and needles, edge of my seat the entire time because I did not want to see Yoshihashi enter this G1. <laughs> and I was just like, Gato, if you freaking do this, I swear to God. But uh, luckily, Zach Saber Zach Jr. will be entering the G1, so... Yeah, gets- I was almost wanting to see it happen just for the idea that they go back to Rev Pro and that that UK crowd would be so happy to uh, to have Yoshihashi as their new champ. <laughs> are, are you being sarcastic or for real? Because I don't I don't know. <laughs> Very sarcastic. I would hate that. <laughs> you know, post match uh, saber. Cuts his, his first promo by himself because um, Takamichi Noku is still injured and hasn't returned to you know be his hype man and manage him. So Saber um, cuts the uh, closing promo by himself and you know pretty much saying that he was going to keep the Rev Pro title I think until he dies or something like that. And um, he's going to the G1 to win it. One one last talking point from this show uh, after the um, eight man tag between uh, Bullet Club and Tanahashi, Hinari, Sho and Yo. Uh, Jay White did cut a, a promo on Goto uh, because he had recently defeated Goto in his last match, claiming he couldn't, you know, just go home to his family and run. He had to, basically after that defeat, he had to run all the way to LA to Shibata, you know, to recoup. And he tells Goto that it's time for Goto to retire, just like Shibata did, and that he's going to make him famous in the G1, and that Goto shouldn't even be in the G1. Um, and you know, White says he's the best; he's the number one contender right now. And then Goto arrives and attacks him. He hits the Ushigoroshi on Gato and White Bales. And uh, Goto then cuts some sort of a promo. We didn't act. This was a non-English commentary, so we didn't get the Chris Charlton uh, translation. But uh sounded to me like Goto wants the smoke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and after seeing this angle, I definitely think Goto is going to do a lot better than a lot of people expect him to do in this year's G1 I know a lot of people are thinking he's going to end up in that, you know, six to eight point range, but 
I can see him more in that the 10 point range with the way that they're trying to build his redemption story. Or alternatively, I could see um, him, him not doing great in the points, but then, cause he's in the same block as, as Zach, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, Jay. yeah. I could see them. them oh yeah. And Jay, I could see them putting him um, over Jay. I, I think that'd make sense. I think that you should encourage Jeremy to, uh, to book the 10 point lead on his bracket for our prediction contest. Cause I think that'll work out real well for him. I, I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, also by the way, last week, uh, one of our listeners did point out, I made a, a small error where I said Goto had never won the G1. That is in fact incorrect. He was the 2008 winner. Although I can't remember if it led to a title shot or not for him. It might've cause the dudes had like six or seven title shots and never won the belt. But, uh, yeah, my bad. He definitely won the G1 at least one time, but I don't think we'll ever see it. Okay. That final against Markabe? Yes. So let's say that one more time, Chris, you're cutting out. Uh, no, no, I was just uh, putting over that, that final G1 final that uh, Goto won over um, Markabe. Shockingly good match. That was the first uh, G1 that I actually watched regularly um, back in the day. Nice. Yeah, you're a madman. You watch the whole G1 every year almost. Well, that's how crazy I am. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the main show, the show that we are all here to discuss, the Southern Showdown in Melbourne. And Chris, you were in attendance for this show. How was was. the vibe and the atmosphere for this thing? Yeah, yeah, it was great. So I um, made the trip down uh, from Brisbane to Melbourne, which is like a two-hour flight. I'm not going to try to think of this in terms of American geography. Um, but I came down the week prior because of those World Series wrestling shows. Um, the one where we got that awesome um, Robbie match with Marty Skull, um, where he dropped the title to him, which is really, really good. And just like the vibe from, from those shows, like the World Series wrestling, basically like indie super show type of thing, where it was just like packed out, like 300, 400 fans in this venue, to the feeling of new Japan at, uh, at the, the festival hall, which, you know, so much history in terms of professional wrestling at, at festival hall. Um, like Australian Australia actually has a, a really rich professional wrestling history going back to the, the sixties and seventies with Barnett, um, uh, killer Cox and Abdullah the butcher and all these dudes. Um, but yeah, festival hall was one of their, their mainstay venues. So last time new Japan came over, it was just a special thing for me. Full stop to, uh, to be able to actually see professional wrestling at festival hall. Um, and then this was the big return there last time. They pretty well packed it out um this time uh crowd was a bit bit down i was originally thinking you know how's it going to be in terms of were there a lot of fair weather fans there to see the elite um and i think that was probably the case they ended up closing off like sort of half of the bleacher seats um so closed off half of the bleacher seats and the balcony so just like had it tarped off but the seats that they had there, they, they filled and it looked, you know, good. If you didn't actually know, there was a whole other side of the bleachers that were missing. So, yeah, I was thinking there was probably about 2,000 people there, maybe just under, just over. Nice. But yeah. the, the people that were there were very hyped for, you know, New Japan. You could tell they were all, you know, regular watchers and knew the guys and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the production looked pretty good on uh, Fight TV and the crowd looked, looked packed and it looked like they were hot for the show. So, yeah. 
definitely looks like a great atmosphere. The the observer mm. notes on this are that they basically set the venue up for about twenty three hundred. Uh, they ended up doing about what you said, Chris, about 2000. So not a complete sellout, but a good house for the Melbourne show. And from what the reports I've read and seen is that this was definitely a financial success for them, uh, you know, nice. in, in Melbourne. Yeah, I heard um, Gambino may have been footing the bill on that. So I hope they did well. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's start talking about this card. So the show uh, kicked off with Toa Hanare teaming up with Shota Umino and Nick Berry versus mm. Mark Tui, Andrew Villalobos, and Michael Richards, who are young They're lions from the Fale Dojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was um, interesting and I was really sad when I saw – no, I wasn't sad to see Nick Berry because he's a very talented dude from MCW and some other groups uh, around Melbourne, uh, Underworld Wrestling. Uh, actually, no, that's his tag partner, Mitch Waterman. But anyway, um, but, yeah, that was when we worked out, oh, shit, uh, Ren Narita and uh, Show are not on this show because uh, they were originally booked to be on it, but apparently there was some flight problems. But, yeah, Nick Berry was, like, so over because of all of the, the Melbourne City wrestling fans there. So he got a, a great applause from probably easily the most over guy in the match. <laughs> yeah. But didn't really know the other guys um, all that much. He saw there was a little bit of love for uh, Toa Hanare and, and Umino. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the Fale Dojo students, they were a little bit on the, the quiet side. Yeah, the – um. I did notice that, like you mentioned, Show and Narita missed the show. Uh, interestingly enough, Gato was also – he wasn't booked, but he was supposed to be there, and he was unable to fly out as well. So I don't know what the issue was there. We don't. We, we tried looking into it, but we, we didn't hear anything specific. But uh, Gato was there. I heard Gato was not there. Gato oh, Gato was there. Was, there, was there in the – no, no, he was there out there at ringside um, during the Jay White match. Yeah. What, what am I thinking? I don't know. Uh, but showing show Narita, uh, the reports we read was that they had ticketing issues. So whatever that means, they were unable to attend the show. But, you know, right. really cool that they uh, showcased and gave a spotlight to Nick Berry, like you mentioned. Um, my thoughts on this match were basically, I thought it was great that Toa Hanare being, you know, from that region kind of got a showcase and God knows he needs a showcase at this point in his career. Um, as far as the... Um, Fale Dojo students, I think that they did fine, but there's mm. obviously a stark difference between the LA Dojo Lions yes. and the Japanese Lion Dojos uh, versus what we see here coming out of uh, Fale's Dojo. It's it's like totally different levels. Yeah, I think it's a step up kind of thing. Um, like I, I know some dudes over here that have trained with the, the Fale Dojo and then that's basically how you get to the New Japan Dojo proper. Um, so I've known some guys that have done really well at the Fale Dojo and then they've like, all right, let, let's bring you over to the Japanese Dojo and then they it's just been way too much for them, you know. So I think it, it is a big step up in, in terms of just the, the in-ring and just the overall system you know right you can de- you can definitely say like you guys are saying that Shota Umino was on a different level than these guys but I thought mm-hmm. it was a solid opener a good way to kick this show off uh mm-hmm. gets the win with the big uh Toa bottom and um Toa Umino and Nick Berry get the win here also yep. 
me and Jeremy, I just want to say, we dropped the $25 required with Fight TV to watch this show. <laughs> if it wasn't for Chris coming on the show, I'm pretty sure we would not have dropped the $25. We would have just, just waited for it on New Japan <laughs> World. Yeah. Uh, but the but we did we did uh, support Fight TV and support New Japan with our dollars. We put our our money where our mouth is. Um, the video on demand will be available tomorrow, June sec or July second. Uh, so by the time you listen to this, it should be up on New Japan World. Yeah. Nice. Mark, do you have any other final thoughts about this opening matchup? No, I think um, Chewy is a little bit like what what the hell is he wearing with that yeah, like, hoodie, like, like the fighter shorts with like the sleeveless hoodie. I wouldn't have had a problem if he just like wasn't wearing the sleeveless hoodie, but something about that irked me, especially like in a New Japan ring. I mean, it's not like he's Naito over here, you know, wearing <laughs> yeah. his shirt to sell the merch. Like, come on, dude. I think what bothered me was that he was wearing Muay Thai shorts specifically, and he wasn't working a Muay Thai gimmick. So I was like, uh, you know, you can't just go get a singlet, man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. So next up, we had Slex taking on Aaron Solo. Um, I know you're probably very familiar with both of these guys. A little bit more so with Slex. Aaron Solo, I was surprised to hear, has done like U.S. Indies for like 10 years or something. Yeah, he's been on the indie scene for a while now. Um, He's engaged to um, Bailey over in WWE. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I read that. But yeah, he's been kind of all over the place. And I I sound like he's now in the Fall A Dojo. Mm Mm-hmm. So where is he from initially? Is he an American or is he like from New Zealand? Well, let me go to the Google machine and we will find out. Yeah, According was- to Cage Match, he apparently is was born in San Francisco. So, oh man, if Cage Match anything to go by, I'm trying to look him up, but I'm not finding a lot of information. Honestly, uh, he's from California, San Francisco. Yeah, apparently and, he came up with uh, Davy Richards, to- Tony Cozina, and uh, the the Storm Wrestling Academy. So yeah, he apparently he has a good background. Yeah, he. I, I was impressed with him. I thought he was pretty good. I obviously I thought Slex was um, a bit better in ring. I, Slex mm-hmm. is really good though. Both these guys were yeah. Good. Slex looked really good on the World Series wrestling shows as well. It's funny with Slex, like, um, it's a bit of a thing to where for a long time he was, like, negative, Mr. Negative Charisma kind of thing. Like, he could do all of the great wrestling, but just negative charisma. But then he kind of, like, started doing the thing with the glasses and, like, this big over-the-top kind of entrance. Um, and you're like, oh, wow, he's finally got the charisma. But I think there is a point where maybe for the, the in-ring side of it, like, like during his matches, I, I don't see much of that charisma that you see from the entrance or, or personality kind of thing. So there's a little. little bit that I sometimes tune out a little bit during the select a fair complaint, but he is a lot more polished than 99% of Australians. Let, let me ask you this too, because you keep mentioning world series wrestling. Um, what's the deal with them? Are they kind of like PWG in that they only release on DVD? Cause I've been trying to catch some of those, those matches from the last tour. I can't find them. Mm-hmm. Any release on DVD. I think they'd be perfect for like a high sports network or something like that. I don't know the actual, you know, details to me the the best comparison I always tell people, do you remember one PW from the UK? Yes. Yeah, like this super, super indie company just brings a whole bunch of guys over, you know, works them in with some of the local talent, 
part just do these big shows that are generally quite well attended. That's pretty much them. They're the equivalent of that in, in Australia. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah, I thought Slex looked real good. I like the entrance and the, you know, the, the all business kind of gimmick he's doing and the whole, the whole uh, glasses thing. But I thought both these guys uh, looked pretty good in this match. And uh, Slex ended up getting the win with his uh, Slexecution uh, Trouble in Paradise uh, looking maneuver on Aaron Solo for the win. Mm-hmm. And seemed like the crowd was really into Slex. Yeah, yeah, another big, big um, MCW favourite. So you could see with most of those fans being um, Melbourne City wrestling regulars, uh, those guys are going to be over. What's what's the because uh, you're more familiar with the scene? What's the big company over there? Is it ASW? Is it MCW? Is it WSW? Um, you, well, there's kind of a differentiation from like the, the companies people see as like Australian companies versus the companies like World Series Wrestling that more specialise in um, internationals, uh, which is kind of weird because like the, all of the history of it, the success of Australian wrestling dating back to the 60s was always all about the Americans. Um, but yeah, like the, the main companies over here that people kind of like put over the most are probably Melbourne City Wrestling, um, PWA Black Label in Sydney, which is Robbie's group, um, and then kind of Wrestle, Rump, uh, Wrestle Rampage down in, in Adelaide, um, as well as there's a, a group over in Perth as well uh, that, that does pretty well which is uh, where sort of Damien Slater and those kind of guys are more from. Nice. So let's, uh, let's move on. So the next match of the night was Toriano and uh, Yo. This was originally going to be a six-man tag, but again, show was unable. And um, Oh, and G- you know why I messed up? Because Gato was supposed to be in this match. Right, it was originally a six-man. That's why I was thinking he wasn't there. I don't know, stupid uh, But um, I was trying being- to think who was the other man that was out because of the, the flight. And I was like, I can't even think of who it was meant to be. But yeah, you're right. It was meant to be Gato. So we ended up with a tag match. Uh, Ishimori teaming up with uh, Bullet Club member. Juicy Gino Gambino. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> we, we've had a, a long debate on this show pretty much for two years now, whether or not Gino Gambino is a member of the Bull Club. Because, you know, Fale gave him a shirt two years ago. We didn't really see a lot <laughs> of him in New Japan. Uh, we actually, uh, Rich and I actually met Tama Tonga in New York and had a drink with him. And uh, Gino Gambino was there. And Tama assured us that Gino is a full member of the Bull Club and because uh, he was brought in by Fale. But Josh still refused to believe that. But here on this tour, we have him coming out, wearing the colors, coming out with the entrance. Well, yeah. well, he was wearing the colors except for his boots. For some reason, that oh meant- my gosh, <laughs> what was going on with that gear overall? Like the boots, that weird singlet with like the strange ties. Who was putting this man's gear together? Yeah, he was wearing all black gear, but then he had literally like Tim's, like he was from freaking Brooklyn. Like I don't know why he was. Wearing those. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was a bit odd. <laughs> what do you think about this match overall, Chris? Uh, not great. Uh, like Gino, bless his heart. He's done a lot for like the, you know, local promotion of these events and everything like that. And I think these events wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Gino. So, you know, respect there. I I really enjoyed some of his commentary, special commentary on the, um, the final night of the best of the super juniors. But in terms of a wrestler, I cannot stand him. Hey, I just think he's trash. Like 
I am not a fan. And I think a lot of the crowd was that way too. Like there was so much hatred for the local Australian Bullet Club member in during this match. I was just found it hilarious. Um, there was a guy that just made a call early in the match. I don't know if you guys heard it on camera, where he just stood up and was like you're okay at commentary, but you're still a terrible wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. Yeah, I really enjoyed his commentary on those um, those few shows. That- everyone loved- <laughs> yeah, but yeah, his in-ring, yeah, needs a lot of work. I was not impressed at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I will say this, though. I've heard, I haven't seen this match, but I've heard people recommend the match between Gambino and Slex from, I don't know if it was this year or last year for the MCW title. People said he had a good showing there. But overall, I, I was not impressed. I wasn't impressed with the match just overall. I thought this was the lowest match of the night, honestly. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of antics with Yano and taking off the turnbuckle pads and all that stuff and playing around with Gambino. I enjoyed the Yano stuff. Yeah, I'm just saying, but like you have the Yano, and then you also have like Gambino that brings it down. It's like Yano's good, but you want the other side to at least come back with something, and there was nothing, nothing really there. I know. I just wanted to be known that I enjoyed Yano. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one spot between Ishimori and Yo that kind of brought it back, and you're like, oh, wow, that was actually good. But then it was like, you know, the rest of it. Yeah, so um, Yo, uh, Yano ends up getting the win here after a low blow and a cradle up on uh, Gambino, and Yano and Yo get the win here. So the next we had uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi teaming up to take on the team of the Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi, and the Crown Jewel, Chase Owens. Bullet Club B team represent. <laughs> we, we, we might as well call him the cleaner Chase Owens with some of the offense he had. <laughs> <laughs> I popped for that. That was good. Yeah. So what do you think about this one, Chris? I was just watching. I'm like, hey, why do we need a Kenny Omega? We've got Chase Owens, man. <laughs> the new best bout machine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the mixed bag, you know, I, th- I thought for what it was and where it was, you know, placed on the card, it, it fulfilled its role, I guess. Uh, a little bit disappointing that that's the showcase that we got of Ishii. Uh, that was the one match I was really jealous of the following night in Sydney. They got a singles match between Ishii and Hanare, which I, oh. like, that's, that'd be my kind of match, you know? Yeah, I love when um, Ishii and Hanare go at it. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, I don't know, not so much. But yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was a fine little tag match here. Um, Ishii ends up getting the win with a brain buster on Chase Owens. Chaos getting the win there over Bullet Club. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Tomohiro Ishii's uh, brain buster, yay or nay? Oh, all of the yay. I mean, you mean this one specifically or in general? Just in, in general, general because I've noticed sometimes he hits it very clean, but a lot of times he hits it almost like just an elevated – delayed suplex which is fine because it's obviously his his uh brain buster is very safe but i always i sometimes wonder like am i yay on this or am i nay on it because it's almost a suplex at at sometimes yeah well there is a blurred line between a, a brain buster and a suplex in the world of japanese wrestling a lot of time you'll see just a standard suplex and it's always referred to as a brain buster correct i don't i almost saw it thought of it more like you have Ishii when he's just in like, you know, sort of safe mode and taking a little bit easy kind of mode. And then you have big match Ishii and that's when you really see those, those more uh, stiff looking brain busters. For sure. 
So next we have the Rev Pro Cruiserweight British Cruiserweight Championship match with Al Fantasmo defending against Rocky Romero. Um, really enjoyed this match for what we saw because the the fight Same. the fight TV stream um, died after. Romero hit that sweet-looking inverted um, dest- destroyer from the tombstone position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that pretty- sucks. I'm yeah. really sad about that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's when match. the match heats up, and we're like, oh, yeah. this is getting so good. And then next thing you know, everything cuts out. And then the next thing you know, Phantasma won the, you know, retained his belt. And we're like, what happened? <laughs> uh, have to catch that on the replay then. Yeah, hopefully they clean that up on uh, New Japan World. But overall, for what we saw, I thought it was, you know, very good match. Um, they played up um, to their best of Super Junior match of Rocky working over the arm again, looking mm-hmm. for the arm bar and submit him. And um, this Phantasma just continuing, you know, underestimating Rocky, doing the rope walk spots and all that kind of stuff. So I thought they were telling a great story, and it was a great match until, up until what we saw. Chris, how did right. You- yeah, yeah. I just think this would be to the level of uh, the, the Corican match, but I thought for, for what this was in front of this audience, I thought it was a, it was really good. Easily second best match of the show. What, what would you – this looked like me. It was on pace to be about four stars. What would you have rated this? You know, uh, 3.75 to four. Around there, nice. Yeah, I think. Yeah, for me, I felt like it, it was getting to that four range before the the stream died. Yeah, really enjoyed this. Loved the arm work from uh, Rocky, just playing up from the previous match. I all around, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real fun. And again, just another showcase of of why um, you know you should be keeping an eye on ELP. And and Rocky's just had such a resurgence lately. It just from the best of Super Juniors. Till now, I think a lot of people before that kind of like thought, oh, we don't really expect that much out of Rocky anymore. But I want to see more, talking about big match Taguchi, I want to see more big match Rocky. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm all about that. So next we had the IWGP Tag Team Champions, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, Girls of Destiny, defending against the flamboyant Juice Robinson and Mad Mikey Nichols. Along with uh, Giotto, Master Heater there. Yeah, the Master Heater. Real interesting. So it seemed to me, and you could tell us, Chris, it seemed like G.O.D. was way more over with the, with the Melbourne crowd than, you know, Australian native Mikey Nichols. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was weird. Um, uh, you may know I am not the biggest fan in the world of the, the gorillas and... <laughs> Very sad to say it, but Tama specifically. Um, and I, I was a little bit disappointed in my, my fellow Australians and how much they bloody loved those gorillas on this night. Uh, <laughs> I guess you love them or hate them, right? Um, and I'm probably more in the hating them uh, side of things. But th- there was a, a, a connection, like a noticeable connection with Mikey. Uh, I think a lot of those fans did remember him from MCW and TMDK. Um, so, yeah, it's not like he was there and got the same reaction as, like, uh, Michael Richards, you know. There, there was a, a, a good amount of love there for Mikey, but just maybe not as much as uh, some people love the Gorillas on this note. I think we have a love-hate relationship with G.O.D., but I will say this. we you got to be careful, Chris, because you never know who might be listening to this podcast. Yeah, right. I was listening to your last show, and I hear uh, Tama on there roping things up. Jeez, he could be listening to this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I'm not going to be bad-mouthing no sons of Haku. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Hey, I, I know about Thomas' Twitter game, so I need to watch out for that. As our friends over on the Outsider's Edge say, all deference to the Tongans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, this, this was an, an all right match here. Um, you know, I, I'm personally not a big fan of Mikey Nichols. I, I prefer uh, Shane Thorne over him, and I wish he was the one that we got instead of Nichols. Um, just seems to be oh. like... Yikes. Gosh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. He just seems to lack some charisma to me. Like, his in-ring, in-ring work is fine for the most part, um, but I really haven't seen him hit that next gear yet. And Yo, I've, I've heard this perspective a little bit, and I did want to set something straight here because I'm a big fan of, of Nichols and Shane Haste going back to Noah. Um, I'm, like, a big-time Noah fan, and they had a, just a fantastic run there. And the weirdest thing was in the Noah setting, Mikey was the one that was the personality of the team. He was Mr. Charisma. He would like do these like sort of funny spots and stuff. The crowd loved him. Um, But then ever since he left Noah, like through the NXT experience and then back now, it's like, I'm like, where is this, this personality that I know Mikey has? And it's just kind of like weird to see like that was his strength and now it's like gone. So yeah, I thought that's like a thing I, I make sure to mention like when people kind of think that he's just this like personality negative type of thing, you know? So they they deprogrammed him in the PC then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You see that with a lot of guys, right? (laughs) That that might be some MK ultra monarch mind programming, uh, you know, WWE conspiracy crap going on right there. (laughs) But, um, With uh, with Nichols and TMDK or the Mighty or whatever they were called in WWE, I I always really enjoyed them as a tag team. We saw them on the Largo Loop quite a bit, but since Nichols has come here, I was optimistic. But you know his recent showings haven't been they haven't been terrible, but it's left a lot to de- to be desired. You know. Hey, and what do so you think I, of that Okada match? I thought it was just a match. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was just fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a three star match, and you know. Given the fact that it was in that tournament setting, I had higher hopes for it, um, especially since they were giving him such a spotlight right off the bat. But it didn't seem to inspire a lot of uh, confidence in Mikey Nichols. One thing that me and Jeremy don't like, Mikey hits the worst blue thunderbomb I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty rough, man. Like especially for a finish. Like when I think of blue thunder, I think of like Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, the way he hits the blue thunder, or um, Sami Zayn slash El Generico, Junakiyama. Yeah, I was thinking Junakiyama, but, but yeah, um, not quite to that level. But while we're done burying uh, <laughs> Mikey, <laughs> all all in all, I gotta tell you, I actually really enjoyed this match. I think this was. And I might be in the minority here. This was, to me, one of the most enjoyable G.O.D. matches this year. Well, I hate to admit it, but I have been skipping pretty much every G.O.D. match <laughs> that I watched on New Japan World. I did see that one in person in Madison Square Garden. Um, but, yeah, I don't normally go out of my way to see him. Well, we ha- we, we're crazy. We have to watch everything for this show, unfortunately. <laughs> and, Maniacs. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of times where I have the same sentiment and I feel like we could just pretty much, you know, hand wave GOD matches, but I thought the crowd really elevated this match. They did seem to be quite yes. a bit into it. Yeah. And um I thought this worked on a lot of levels, especially since Juice and Mikey picked up the win earlier at the end of the Kazuna Road Tour. And for whatever reason, I thought this match worked. I'm not going to sit here and say it was tag team match of the year or anything, but I thought it was very good for what it was. Do you see much steam in Juice and Mikey as a tag team going forward? 
No, I don't think so. I don't think they really gelled together or really worked well together as a team. I think Juice is better in a singles role. Yeah, I was just looking at it and I'm like, you, you need the bit more flashy guy in the team and that was the great role that, that Shane Haste you know, performed in TMDK. Um, but, yeah, I I'm, I'm don't necessarily see these guys melding meddling um, together too well in the future well ultimately after a hard-fought battle with a lot of outside shenanigans and cane shots from master heater things of that nature and some comebacks from juice and mikey we end the match with a double team from tango uh tamatonga and tangaloa uh but juice makes the save uh jado ends up distracting him distracting him and uh he gets taken out tanga hits the gun stun Loa hit, hits a belt shot on Mikey Nichols, and uh, Tamatanga cradles him and grabs the tights for the win. Uh, one criticism, um, was it Marty Asami? Who, yeah, yeah, Marty Asami. Marty Asami made the pinfall or the pin count, but he was in position to see the uh, the tights the pulled. tights pulled, and then he pointed at it, and it was like he was not in the right position to be blinded and not see those tights pulled. He definitely shouldn't have counted one, two, three based on where he mm. was. Um, just yeah. a small little I don't thing. think Tiger Hattori or Red Shoes would have been counting that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> so next up, we are at the semi-main event. It's for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship as Will Ospreay takes on the sniper of the skies, Robbie Eagles, um, being Ooh. seconded by El Fantasmo And the crowd erupted for Eagles. They were in love with Robbie. And they uh, booed Osprey pretty heavily, <laughs> kind of turned Osprey yep. into the heel this match. Uh, what do you think about this one, Chris? I thought this was just awesome. Like up until that point, this was a very missable card. Um, but but this match just made it something special to where it's like one of those moments where like I, I felt like privileged to be there kind of thing. Like there have been a few moments in like shows in Australia that I've been to where I mean like this is like a moment to be part of. But this was this was one of them. Like last year there was a, a great MCW show. Like the actual show itself was pretty trash, but it had a, a great three-way with Will Ospreay, Robbie Eagles and uh, Brooksy. Adam Brooks, um, and they just hit it out of the ballpark. That was one of the, the best matches I've seen on Australian soil. And then so seeing the, the next match of Osprey in Australia, I think he came back and did some other stuff, but this was the next one I was there for. And, yeah, it, it was great. Uh, um, the, the reaction, a 50-50 kind of uh, a response from the crowd to, to these two. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was like palpable. Um, like the hype video beforehand was, was just great. Um, and, and everyone was so on board with being there for Robbie's big win. Like that was the feeling kind of in the building, like the way they, they placed this, this match on this show, like, and built around it. People were kind of thinking this is, this is Robbie's big moment, especially with the idea of, you know, Osprey is going to be going into the G1. And I think a lot of the people thought, you know, perhaps Osprey drops the belt here and then moves properly up to heavyweight in the, the G1. Uh, but yeah, uh, some of the, the chants during this match were pretty incredible too. Uh, do you guys allow swearing on this show? Yeah, go for of it. Of course. <laughs> so to start with, uh, with a bit of more of a tepid kind of reaction and not overtly hating him, but then during the opening bits of the match, there was a fuck you Osprey chant. 
uh, and this was like a loud chair as well. <laughs> and you could see like just this look on Osprey's face. It was like, what? You guys loved me when I was here last time. <laughs> but the funny thing, like last time, do you guys remember all of those promos that Osprey cut saying that he was going to move to Australia? Yes. Yeah, yeah. he never did. Yeah, I think that came back to haunt him here. I think the crowd was like, you lying fuck. And they just watched like <laughs> Dominion where he like cuts the promo about moving to, to Japan. And it's like, ah, oh, we, we see we see how this goes. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, he actually, you know, went into that and was working a bit more heel through the match. Uh, my favorite chant of the whole thing and this one may be a, a, a bit uh, much i know how you americans can be a little bit sensitive to this word but i'm not sure if this came across on on the stream uh but there was a, a wonderful you're a cunt osprey you're a cunt <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. yeah dude the crowd was so hyped for this match i thought this thing was incredible in the whole story they told with the, the video that they put on New Japan World leading ahead of time and then the video they played before the match, the whole story they were telling with, you know, Osprey, the matches that they had in Australia and then inviting Eagles to come to Japan and be a part of chaos. But then Eagles end up joining Bullet Club and, you know, Osprey putting him over saying how great he is, but he's, you know, doing things the wrong way. And then they had the whole thing in Best of the Super Juniors where Fantasmo helped Eagles beat Osprey and Eagles wanted to beat him by himself. So, you know, here in this match, he wants to prove again that he can beat Eagles. He's wearing the green and gold colors, not the Bullet Club colors. I love he, that. He tells Fantasmo mm. to, you know, he wants to tell him to go back, but he ends up, you know, getting a chair by ringside. And we would see Fantasmo kind of come in and out of this match and uh, trying to distract, distract Osprey. At one point, he slid a chair in. Um, and then Eagles ended up taking out our Phantasmo with a suicide dive, and uh, they go back into the action there, and then um, Eagles, or Osprey hits the Oz cutter, and then Phantasmo pulls the ref out. Uh, he starts attacking Osprey, but then Eagle stops him um, from using the bell on Osprey and takes out Phantasmo. Um, again, kind of going back to fourth there, they had uh, Osprey hit the Essex Destroyer for a near fall. Um, then he countered the Stormbreaker, but then Osprey hits a hook kick, and um, goes for Stonebreaker again, but uh, Eagles counter into a Rana for a great near fall. Then a Toro Tenel DT for a great near fall. Then Eagle goes for the 450 on the leg, but then Osprey curls him up off the Ron Miller for a near fall. And then Eagle runs into a Spanish fly. Osprey goes up to the top for a shooting star press, but he kicks out at one. Um, then he hits the hidden blade and the Stormbreaker and finally pins Robbie Eagles and retains the junior championship. Yeah, a, a couple things I wanted to touch on. The, the story that you alluded to, uh, Jeremy, it's so awesome. And we talk about this in New Japan, how they do this long-form storytelling. And they're also um, it's also bolstered by the fact that they do have these international deals between different companies. And the match, the match that these two guys had at PWA where Osprey took, you know, after he uh, lost to uh eagles previously and then at the end of the match he ripped off the japanese flag from his belt and then handed it to him and then we saw that played up during the uh best of the super juniors and he was essentially inviting him to come to japan and join chaos and then uh, obviously we know that he joined bullet club but he took a different route this was something that you know in any other company they would like hammer it home and you know throw it in your face a million times and be like, this is the story we're telling. It's in your face. But they do it with such nuance and like, you know, just 
so much finesse in New Japan where it's you almost as a fan have to pay more attention and thread this stuff together on your own. Not to say that it's not there because it's definitely there, but it's done with with a little bit of nuance and a little bit of finesse. And then finally, when the big match is ready to come, they put together an awesome video package like we like you just mentioned. And that's storytelling at its finest. I also really liked in this match how at one point in the match when it looked like uh, Robbie was going to be able to cheat to win, the crowd was all about it. Like they wanted him to, you know, do whatever it takes to beat Osprey. But as their characters went through their story arc and towards the end of the match after the uh, Phantasmo interference, they didn't want they didn't want Eagles to cheat to win because they could saw, see that he was coming to the good side. You know, they wanted him to beat Osprey fair and square in a, in a man-to-man match. So the crowd really was living and dying with this match, and they, they brought it to the forefront. I even liked yeah. the fact that Osprey, when he went for the hidden blade, he thought about taking down the elbow pad, but then he didn't because he didn't want to hurt Robbie Eagles. He just wanted to beat him. You know what I mean? Right. So it was like sportsmanship. Like this match was incredible. My only concern is that because this happened on a tape delayed show that people are going to overlook this match and this doesn't need to be overlooked. This match is as good as anything that we saw during best of the super juniors. And it might be the best storytelling junior match that we've seen all year. Yeah. Yeah. This is worth going out of your way to, to see guys. Um, I, I was a little bit concerned uh, when we saw ELP come out with him because uh, I was watching with my uh, cousin Ben um, and I turned to Ben and I was like, man, do you think, like, are we just going to get ELP costing Robbie the the match here? You know, and that's the end, that's the, you know, what they've been building up to here. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what we're going to see. But we didn't get it that like two dimensional. They, they made it a, a lot more interesting. And, and especially like that, that part of the match where Robbie had the belt and then the crowd's like, no, Robbie, no, no, Robbie, no. Yes. I'm like, this is, this is cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, props to, to new Japan and, and props to the, the booking here for, in other companies, it would have been a, a lot more two dimensional storytelling here. You know, if you cost him in the match and that's it. Um, they, they did it in a much more interesting way and then finally getting the big payoff of him um, uh, leaving Bullet Club on the, the following night's show in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. and I got to say, before we talk about the, the post-match, one, one thought I had about this. So when we saw Robbie Eagles come into the uh, Super Juniors Tag Tournament last year, me and Jeremy felt a little bit underwhelmed because we'd heard so much hype about him and we were familiar with the name, but not the work. And Mm -hmm. he kind of came in. It was, he was good, but it wasn't anything that would like blow you away. And we were on this podcast, like, man, he really needs to step up during the super juniors. He more than stood, stood up. You know what I mean? Like he made, he had such a great accounting of himself and then they started integrating him to the stories, you know, with the dissension in the bullet club. But this match feels like suddenly he's really stepped out and made me invested as a new Japan fan in his story arc and his success as a character. And now I'm like, people need to see this because this is the, this is like the jumping off point for Robbie Eagles in new Japan pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think um, to start with when they first brought him in as part of the bullet club, I was a little bit concerned seeing him cast as a, a heel because knowing Robbie and seeing Robbie wrestle for, for many years, 
he is like just the, the best pure baby face. You know, there's some guys like a, like a Ricky Steamboat kind of thing where you can yes. just never see them as a heel. And Robbie's mm-hmm. one of those guys, like from when you're seeing him in the ring to even when you're like just having a chat with him in person, like there's some guys that just come across as like just the world's nicest guy kind of thing. And that's, that's Robbie. So I was like, what are they doing here making him a heel? I feel like they're, maybe they're, that was a part of the reason for his like lack of immediate connection to start with because he was sort of like trying to do the heel thing, trying not to be too flashy, you know. Um, but then I think it was, it was for the best for this arc that you're talking about that we, we really uh, got here and just that, that great payoff. And I'm, I'm so excited for this this you know, hopeful uh, baby face uh, run. I'm assuming with with, with chaos uh, going forward with, with Chris. Are you there? You're cut out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is weird. Um, how much of that did you get? We got most of it. Yeah, you said uh, you think he's going to go baby face with chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be excited for this this baby face run because that's that's the best Robbie. And yeah. and I can attest that he's definitely a nice guy. Because spoiler alert. Chris and Robbie are friends. We had a nice little chat WrestleMania weekend after one of the shows. And uh, he's an A plus guy. When is he going to be on your guy's show, by the way? Because he did promise you he's going to come on to Berman watch this shit. He did. He did. Yeah. We've, we've got to, uh, got to work that in. We've got a, a bit of a, a backlog of, uh, of guests at the moment. So we're, we're trying to work that out, but I think probably sooner rather than later, cause it sounds like Robbie is going to be doing a, a lot more stuff in new Japan. So where his schedule might be a little bit more busy. So yeah, we'll try to make that work. So uh, post-match, we had uh, Robbie Eagles laying out El Fantasmo and uh, shaking hands with Will Ospreay, which would be signs of things to come, which happens on the uh, next day's show. And then finally, the main event of the night, which I was surprised. I forgot that there was a main event. I thought that Robbie Eagles and uh, Ospreay would be the main event, but not so. We ended up with a tag team match between the Bullet Club, Jay White, and Bad Luck Fale taking on the team that we so affectionately know as the Mega Aces, Okada and Tanahashi. (laughs) What do you think about this one, Chris? I I enjoyed it. I was a little bit miffed, I guess, at the match placement. So as you guys kind of mentioned, it just struck me as quite weird, especially with like – being used to match uh, New Japan match ordering where it's normally like the title match or the biggest title match of the night will will have precedence over these other matches. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was like they just felt the need to have the, you know, big Okada goodbye at the end of the night for the goodbye speech, which I get. Um, but if it was me, I would have put that, that junior title match in the main event slot. Uh, but yeah, I thought this, this match itself was, was very fun. Um, you know, nothing really that you need to go out of your way to see, but it was, it was perfect for, for the, the night and the, the moment that it was. Yeah. It seemed to me like they were banking on Okada and Tanahashi star power to kind of carry the excitement of the match. The match itself was fine. Not, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, but I mean, for the crowd, it was slow in the beginning, but by the end of it, the crowd seemed to really be into it. Yeah, I mean, they, they were put in a tough spot trying to follow that emotional roller coaster of Osprey mm-hmm. and Eagles and just how phenomenal that match was. Um, but again, I think, you know, Tanahashi and Okada, they're professionals and just how great they are. They, they did get the crowd into it and um, just show how great stars they are. And they ended up getting the win. Um, Okada countered the grenade from Bad Luck Fale um, and hits uh, two Rainmakers for the win. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a rematch of the... They did this at Sapporo, didn't they? On the, the night before the um, big Tanahashi J match. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yes, it is. Yeah. And that was a really good match. I remember really enjoying that one in Sapporo a lot more than, than this one. One, one thing I noticed, Fale, even after all the weight loss, he looks slower than ever. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, he's not moving well. And Tanahashi in this match, ha- he looked really rough, to be honest with you. Like, uh, the, the last couple, what was it, Kazuna Road, he looked like he was recovering and moving better. But on this, I mean, with all the travel, but, to, you know, and all that, he looked rough on this night, honestly. And I, I'm a bit worried going into the G1, guys. I am too, to be honest with you. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll find out in Dallas what, what, the, what the deal is. But ultimately, the match ended, like you mentioned, with Okada picking up the win. They ended up having a post-match uh, speech from Okada that you alluded to, Chris. And at one point, um, uh, <laughs> the fans started chanting best in the world, and Okada was like, yes, we are. <laughs> and he's like, wait, no, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, obviously, that plays into the feud that's uh, been playing out on Twitter between Will Ospreay and uh, um, Seth Rollins, which we'll talk about during the news. But I thought that that was pretty funny when he was like, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Like, Okada just always does a great go-home speech. We got a great one for him, that big MCW match he had with Slex the other year. Uh, but, yeah, Okada and the, the Manson Square Garden one as well. This is the man to end the shows. Nice. And any final thoughts on just the overall, um, you know, your, how you were like, what your, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is cause I'm trying to think of the word, but like your thoughts on, on the show, basically your impressions on the show. Yeah. I, one of the big things was like, this was more of a real show, like a, a real, you know, proper show with, with, you know, angles peaking big time title matches that have significance much more than last time. And last time it was basically a glorified house show before like a packed out festival hall. Versus this one was like a real show, a little bit strange. And I hope that doesn't have negative ramifications going forward. But overall, I I thought it was a very fun night. And if if nothing else, that that one match uh, was worth, you know, the whole trip down to Melbourne for really. Yeah, and honestly, I think that match was even worth just the, the fight TV that we, money that we dropped. That match was incredible. We did have um, the, the next uh, night of the tour was Southern Showdown in Sydney. Obviously, this was unaired, but there were some results that I'll just go through real quick. So Michael Richards and Andrew Villalobos defeated Stevie Phillip and Tomei Phillip. In tag team action, Rocky Romero defeated Tony Cozina. Jack Bonza defeated Mick Moretti. Chase Owens defeated Aaron Solo. Toro Yano, Juice Robinson, and Mikey Nichols defeated Gino Gambino, Tangaloa, and Tamatanga. And in singles action, Tomohiro Ishii defeated Tohonari, which I'm sure was awesome, uh, like yeah. it always is. And then in the main event, Will Ospreay, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kazushika Okada defeated Jay White, Robbie Eagles, and Bad Luck Fale. But the big news coming out of this show was the story revolving around Robbie Eagles. Yes. Yeah, so um, post-match, um, the video went out on Twitter of Jay White trying to get um, Eagles to hit Osprey with a chair, but uh, Eagles refused. So then Jay White was like, I'm going to show you how it's done. And Jay goes to hit Osprey with the chair, but then Eagles super kicks Jay. 
Okada and Tanahashi come back to life and take out Fale and Gato. Um, and then they end up um, taking out Jay White and uh, Eagles holds hands up with Osprey, Okada, and Tanahashi. And uh, Osprey uh, tweeted out that uh, Robbie Eagles is now part of Chaos. Um, NJPW Global's Twitter uh, Twitter account confirmed it that um, Eagles is now part of Chaos. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited for that going forward. We had a question from a Reddit user. Why did you do that, bro? He says, now that Robbie Eagles has joined Chaos, do you think him and Osprey will team together in the junior tag league together? Osprey says he wants to do all the tours, so it could be possible. Also, another question which is related to this, um, with Robbie Eagles joining Chaos, do you see Osprey Eagles attempt at the junior titles in the near future, or would they be better suited to the World Tag League later this year? And that was uh, from Howard Schillen. From Howard. Nice. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I don't see them doing the, the heavyweight tag league, uh, but I could definitely see uh, Robbie and, and Will um, in the, the junior tag league. I guess it depends what the story is on whether they want to distance um, Osprey eventually from the junior division into like a proper cemented heavyweight run or whether they want to kind of like do both. I, I know you guys were saying on the last show about the idea of, of perhaps Will keeping the, the junior title while also dipping his toes into the heavyweight division at the same time. Uh, yeah, it, a lot of interesting options here. Yeah, Something that just excited me is the fact that Chris listened to the last show. That is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's weird hearing you guys' voice in like real time. You, you may have been on like that 1.5 speed kind of thing, but <laughs> it was still an enjoyable listen, guys. I, I listen to all the shows on 1.5 also. So I listen to you and Jeremy on 1.5 also. <laughs> I'm on 1.7, boy. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but, um, I'll say this. I think that there's a good chance that they might end up being in the junior tag league. Although I got to wonder with this many juniors in chaos, what does this mean for Rapongi 3K is the real question I have. Well, I think Will Ospreay eventually is going to transition fully to heavyweight. And so then you'll have um, Eagles as like your ace junior in the singles division. Yeah. And then you'll still have Rapongi 3K as a junior team. I think that's possible. Yeah. I also think that if they – both end up in the junior tag league. You might want to look out for Rapongi 3K versus Osprey Eagles match down the road. Damn, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be fire. The other thing too, though, is why not put them in the heavyweight tag league with the fact of the matter that they have someone who's right on that limit who could be a heavyweight. Um, we're going to talk about a match that's coming up during the G1 uh, card in Dallas, and it's starting to seem like Hopefully, hypothetically, maybe they're starting to blur the lines between these two tie, uh, tag divisions. You know, you never know. But I would love it if there was just one tag league, to be honest with you. Just one tag league because God knows they could use it. Like, for a company that doesn't focus on tag, you know, uh, extensively the way other companies do, I would love it if there was just one tag league, period. And then we could see multiple storylines playing out in a way that we're more invested in. You know what I mean? I'm actually going to hard disagree with you on that one because I, <laughs> I love the junior tag league because it's, it, it's so fun um, and, and you get to see a lot of guys spotlighted that otherwise you wouldn't get to see them uh, with that spotlight on them. Um, and I, I, I watch the World Tag League 
Um, I, I watch the main matches of it, that being said, but I don't enjoy it nearly as much as I enjoy the juniors. So I'd just be sad to like take a, a bit of that magic away from the junior tag league by mixing it together with the, the heavies. To be honest with you, Chris, I don't disagree at all. My concern is that they don't book either division extensively strong. And so we usually wind up with, you know, mismatched tag teams just kind of thrown together and you sort of know who the big players are because they're the ones who are in the divisions. And this year, more so than ever, it seems like the, both of these tag divisions are weakened by the fact that we have a lack of tag teams, period. So that's the only reason why I think it might be interesting. But if they were to focus more on the tag division and the heavyweight tag division, I'd be all about them having separate tag leagues, honestly. Mm. I guess that's one of the downfalls as much as everyone raves about the, the um, Gato and Jado booking um, team and the success over the years. They've never really been good at booking tag teams. Um, like that never, like I remember when we had like the team 3d just ruining the tag division for like <laughs> years and years. <laughs> and, and I'm sure this is a sentiment that you would definitely agree with. I just wish at some point that, I understand why they don't do it because they have so many singles titles that they don't need a good secondary reason for the heavyweights to do something else. But I kind of wish that the heavyweight tag division in New Japan was booked like all Japan in the 90s, Noah in the mid-2000s, where the main guys were just put into tag teams and they, they would really elevate the tag division doing that. We saw how marketable Golden Lovers was last year and those matches with Tanahashi and Osprey, how awesome they were. I would love if top guys were just in the tag division when they weren't going for the big titles. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Even now, like I think all Japan's tag division, like current day, just like kills new Japan's tag division. And it's just for, for how much they put into it. And you can see in new Japan, it's just not really a priority for them. Well, they have so many like great bruiser tag teams over there right now. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Violent giants. Oh man. So good. <laughs> And real quick, I just want to give a shout out to um, our boy, Sir Sam, who writes for lordsofpain.net. He was live at the Sydney show and just, you know, he had a great report here on Lords of Pain and just um, said it was a great show. He had an awesome time at the event and just recommended, you know, anytime you have the chance to go to a New Japan show live, go ahead and do it. I just want to give him a shout out um, there. There were three things that I want to mention about the Sydney show, and I want to get your take on them before we move on, uh, Chris. So mm-hmm. one thing was we got a report that the ticket prices for the Sydney show were uh, way more expensive than the Melbourne show. And I actually heard that the ticket prices were pretty high for both shows in comparison to like the ticket prices for like, say just a regular Corkin show in Japan, which is a little crazy. Um, the second thing was the Sydney show tickets did not do well. They tarped off quite a few areas. We didn't, we don't have any official results, because that was a pretty small venue anyway, the Roundhouse. Yeah, and I heard that they didn't do extensively well there. Um, and I'm wondering wow. why that might be. And then the last thing is you're a lot more familiar with the scene. You've wrestled with a lot of these guys or you even know them on a you know, first base, you know, person-to-person basis. There yeah. are reports that uh, the Sydney show kind of um, doubled as like a tryout venue for a lot of these uh, Australian talents who might in the future get a shot in uh, New Japan. If you're familiar with any of these names, you know, do you see anybody that you'd like to see come over to New Japan? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of up-and-coming guys at the moment. Uh, I guess, first of all, so in terms of, like, the ticket prices and that side of things, um, yeah, overall, I think on this tour, they had a, a lot more trouble um, 
selling tickets than they did last time, which I was I was wondering how that was going to go. You know, as I mentioned earlier, with the um, the you know not having the elite guys on it, um, and obviously a lot of people last time. Looking back, uh, probably bought tickets to see the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and, and and Cody. Um, not having a kind of like proper New Japan World subscriber fans were were like, yeah, this is you know more of a real New Japan show. But I guess we just didn't have that uh, those kind of more fair weather fans, which were probably a big part of the numbers of last time. I mean, last time Sydney show did great. It was like it did a bigger attendance than the Melbourne show I had it in this big like basketball arena and they had like the big raised up tiered seating it looked fantastic on uh, on camera and I think they had like a good 4,000 people there 4,500 I think I read um and they weren't like cheap tickets either and then this time you're having trouble filling the roundhouse which is probably like like I think that has like a 700 capacity so Man, that's a bit of a step down. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that so many of those fans there last time were, were so driven as more like casual fans as opposed to like proper New Japan fans. It's a bit disappointing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the tickets this time, they weren't like crazy expensive. Like from buying tickets to actual, you know, Japanese shows, I feel like they were about the same, like as what I would have paid for like Cork and Hall tickets or like for a when I went to Dominion last time, um, probably a bit cheaper than Dominion actually. So there weren't anything crazy. Any, um, any talent that you heard on that rundown that maybe we should look out for or anybody, anything like that at all? So were there any, any sort of rumored names that, that you guys heard about to start with, or was just a well, bit more? I did say the Jack Bonza Moretti match specifically was a tryout match. Right. Not yeah. Yes. Them. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with both of those guys. Um, I, uh, have seen Moretti work, uh, a fair few times. He's, he works for the, the group up here that runs more in the Gold Coast area, um, pro wrestling league. And I've seen him a, a couple of times in the early few shows. And yeah, from the first time I saw Moretti, I was like, this guy is like at that top level of Australians. Like I, I would put, Moretti even like above Slex in terms of overall in-ring talent level. And he has a lot more personality as well in like his, his character and uh, character work and that kind of stuff. Um, Bonza, I, I've heard good things. Like I haven't seen that myself. That being said, I haven't seen much recent Jack Bonza. Um, like more of, to me, like a two-dimensional kind of heel. I guess like just, you know, sort of audibly getting, getting crowd heat, working basic, slow style, you know, just that kind of like, uh, I don't know. Bonza, not, not really my kind of wrestler, but Hey, I've heard he's, he's gotten better. So maybe he's, he's good too, but I, I could definitely, uh, I'd, I'd be hopeful of, um, Moretti getting more of a spotlight. Cause I think more people need to see Mick Moretti. And it seems like uh, Aaron Solo might be getting a look, too. I mean, he had the one-on-one match with Slex on the Melbourne show, and then Sydney, he went one-on-one with uh, Chase Owens. Yeah, yeah, he was he was all right. I mean, I, I watched him, and I wasn't, like, really blown away um, for, like, from what I heard about his experience levels and things like that. I guess I was expecting a little bit more. 
especially like seeing that he's like a Tony Kazina, Davy Richards guy. Like, I guess I could see a little bit of that with the, the double foot stomps and that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't really blown away with him. Hey, the one name on that show that really I was like, what? Tony Kozina was on there. You guys remember like Tony Kozina from the LA area in the Indies and stuff? Yeah, I think he got some work too on like Ring of Honor back in the day also. I think also in yeah. TNA also, I think he was in a couple like enhancement kind of matches. Well, they had him mm-hmm. Rocky. So, I mean, I, that was something that like piqued my ears a little bit because Rocky obviously is a guy that is like a talent relations to the States and for a lot of Gaijin workers. So I, I wonder if that has any indication to intentions with them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they, those guys probably go, go back a a long ways and have a lot of history with one another, Rocky and, um, and him, but yeah, he, I, I always liked Cozina and I remember like in ROH, like, like when Davey had him as like, he had like his, yeah, I always thought he was, is quite good, but he seems like he's a bit older these days. So it's probably a bit old for the young lion system. I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting with the Australian scene where like last year it was vastly different. You guys still had Jonah rock. Robbie Eagles looks like he might even be starting to slow down his dates. Obviously Adam Brooks is in the States right now. And a lot of those mm-hmm. guys were almost unknown and now they're all, you know, in different places and it seems like some of the star power, even though the talent might be there, the star power has kind of gone a bit. Yeah, I was, I was saying this exact same thing. I was, uh, did a podcast uh, for the, the B-plus podcast, which is a, a great dude around here that, that focuses a bit more on the Australian scene, my thoughts on the World Series wrestling shows. And I was just saying how weird it is, like exactly what you're saying. A year ago, we just had the like top, top, flight talent in Australia that was just like the world was kind of like just finding out how good they are and now they're kind of like (laughs) most of them are gone and now you're moving down to that next level of guys and I mean that's what you need you know to to have the next level of guys step up but the guys that that look like they were ready to step up like I'd heard a lot about the Philippe brothers um and and they were on that at Sydney show. Um, I saw them on the world series wrestling show. They actually worked the, the Lucha bros. Um, but man, you, you can see the, the different levels, you know, as we were saying before, like in terms of, of like that, that international, like top flight level versus like the guys who've only really worked Australians for the most part. So it's, it's a big step up in, in your game. So um, I'm hoping guys will be able to, to make that step up. Um, because it seems like the, the world's kind of ready to be like, oh, so Australia, you know, makes these great talents now. Who's next kind of thing. One, one last thing before we move on, because we're going to talk about G1 Dallas here in just one second, but with, with them having a pretty successful tour last year and then this year doing well in Melbourne on a more stacked show, but then doing not so well in Sydney with a show that was mostly local talent and then, no title matches, hardly any big singles matches. They, they gave us a, a multi-man tag match. And you kind of see the, the similarities to the diminishing returns in the U.S. It does mm. make me wonder how successful they might be with their international expansion in a place like Australia. I know that they've sold a lot of tickets for the, uh, the Royal Quest. In, in, yeah. in, but I think a lot of that mainly has to do with the fact that they've never done a proper show there ever and so it's like that that um well they had that one last year like that that was actually 
announced as a proper New Japan show that well, like Rev Pro was, put a lot it of the was work. It's a Rev Pro show though. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the first time they've ever done a single New Japan show, and I feel like there's some of that attraction uh, intrigue. But I wonder, like, with them coming to because of the way they book, it's hard for them to give away big matches and to announce them ahead of time. But I gotta wonder if they're gonna keep coming into different countries when when they're gonna start giving people the goods. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah, we've been seeing this a lot of times with New Japan, some of the shows that they do here in the States. It's, you know, they'll announce a few talents, but it's like, you know, we want to know what matches we're getting. And, you know, I think there is a creative way to, to announce certain matches and just, you know, say, you know, we will have an IWGP title defense depending on who the champion is after XYZ match or whatever, or this match is subject to change based off of this match, but at least giving the fans kind of an idea of what they can expect and what they'll be getting. I think you at least need to announce top the the top talent names when tickets go on sale. Like you at least if you even if you don't have the matches ready, you know you at least need to say, all right, these guys are going to be on the show, and I feel like that would help a lot. Um, especially like when it comes to the Australian market, I could see them having success if they come back. You need to make sure you've got some some casual fan kind of names to, to capture those guys that d- didn't come last this time uh, that were there for the elite. And I think a guy like, I don't know what John Moxley's um, all elite deal is when it comes to Australia. I, I think that they can do what they want for international bookings like that. Um, but yeah, if they had a guy like John Moxley on the next new Japan tour of Australia and actually push that pretty hard, um, I think they'd do quite well. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Mox's deal, I think he can do it pretty much whatever he wants internationally. I think he's just kind of restricted in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. They did do a lot of, like, um, more street promotion than I saw last time. Like, I did see... See posters. I did see, like, posters on like that, so, yeah. Nice. Perfect. So let's let's talk about the show coming up this weekend. Yeah, so we have the G1 Climax opening day in Dallas, and we got some exciting... Do you want to tell I them? I can't believe this is this weekend, guys. I cannot believe it's already G1 time. Well, Chris, we got, we got big news. Yes, so Josh and I got approved for media credentials for Woo! the G1 Climax. So uh, Josh and I will be attending the press conference. We will have seats in the press section there. And then we'll be uh, be able to do some Q&A with some of the wrestlers afterwards. And then uh, we will have uh, press seats available to us during the actual show um, and hanging out in the press section there. Keeping a strong awesome. style takes Dallas, baby. Yeah, man. Oh, that is awesome, guys. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's exciting stuff. Really looking forward to it. You know, I almost <laughs> cried when I found out. Dude, <laughs> the other day I was like kind of thinking about it, like this all how crazy this was. I was like getting kind of emotional. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like, honestly, this is just, it's a show that we do for fun. We've been doing it for a little over a year and a half, almost two years at this point. And it's something we, we love and we're passionate about. We do put a lot of work into it, but to us, we don't think of it as work. We're like, this is just what we do. We do it you know, every Monday night. But then like, you know, let's just be real here. We like to kayfabe a little bit, but like, there's no money in this. You know what I mean? Like there's no real, you know, we love our listeners and interacting with them. But aside from, from like everything we do, there's, 
there's, you know, and we don't do it for money, but there is none obviously. But then like to have like them to basically say, Oh yeah, we recognize that you are actual press here in the States. That's like a huge honor to be told that and be like, yeah, you're going to be invited to like be part of the press. And then it's like, holy crap, like what we're doing is kind of paying off to a degree. Yeah, so good. All right, so we're going to talk about this uh, G1 uh, car coming up in Dallas. Um, and, you know, Ricky from the Ricky and Clive show here on the network, um, he just said he didn't have a question, but he says he's going to watch his first ever G1 because of us and the podcast last week, the preview we did. Um, so I'm looking forward to kind of hearing what how Ricky's going to react to his first G1. Um, it's going to be some great stuff. Everybody go follow Ricky. He's a good looking man. <laughs> the best looking man on the network. Allegedly. <laughs> hey, Dave, Josh is, is pretty Mr. Guapo there as well. I want to put, put you over, Josh. So we have a big debate. It's like between Ricky, Josh, and uh, Tom on the network. Uh, out of those three, who the best looking guy is. Let me tell you guys, you guys have obviously <laughs> never seen Jeremy Tate because he is one handsome man. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. No, Jeremy's are very good looking, you know. All Jeremy's are good looking. (laughs) (laughs) All Jeremy's matter. Yes, whether whether they're white, whether they're black. (laughs) 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 Um, All right, so let's talk about this G1 card in Dallas. So the opening match is Rapungi 3K. Show and Yo, hopefully Show makes the fight this time. (laughs) We'll be taking on the Gorillas of Destiny, Tangaloa, and Tama Tonga. And uh, we had a Reddit question here from Reddit user Tristan H1987. He says, do you think that Rapungi 3K will beat G.O.D. and Dallas to set up a future title match and begin the move of Rapungi 3K to the heavyweight division? He, th- he thinks it's possible. I think it's possible. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I, I think it's possible. I think it's like an outside chance, but I think it's possible. It, it's almost weird with Rapongi 3K because I do think that they're definitely ready for something else. I'd more want to see singles runs of both of them after seeing how great both of them performed in the best of the Super Juniors. But I could see a heavyweight tag run could do them well as well because that heavyweight tag division is looking a little bit bleak at the moment. Well, a couple of thoughts I have is one, Sho and Yo have definitely shown the, the, the narrative has always been the internal competition between the two. While while they tag together, they're obviously very cohesive, but when when they're in separate blocks during the super juniors, we're always looking to see who gets more wins. And there's obviously that little bit of teasing the fact that Sho has his own music and they kind of talked about on commentary that he was doing his own thing and show was kind of being more of a chaos company, man. Uh, Yo ended up obviously and en- uh, ending up with one more point or two more points than show during that tournament. But the big question has always been, will they eventually split? Will there be some sort of, um, you know, conflict between those two, especially considering the ex the, the, very deep and long feud that they had against one another prior to their excursion. Young lions. Young lions. Yeah. Um, The one thing that I'm intrigued about this match is I think on the one hand, we might want to start looking out for a potential split down the line because these guys have accomplished everything there is to do in the juniors. Plus they're adding another junior to chaos. They might not go that direction. They might just keep them together. But since they've done everything there is to do in the junior division, why not bring them up to the heavyweight tag? And right now, this is a tag team match between what I'd say is the two most accomplished tag teams in New Japan today in 
Rapongi 3K and GOD. You're, you're taking the best junior tag team, putting them up against the current best heavyweight tag team. And uh, I think this is very intriguing and it might have heavyweight implications for Rapongi 3K. Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's plausible for Rapongi 3K to get the win here. And I'm, I'm hoping they do get the win. Like we mentioned, you know, this heavyweight tag division, there's only so many teams. I mean, this year it's pretty much just been GOD and Evil and Sonata. Um, kind of going back and forth there. So I think it would inject some life into this division to have uh, Sho and Yo pull the big upset, maybe get like a cradle or a roll-up or something on one of these mm-hmm. guys, and then you set up a, a tag title match maybe for the G1 finals maybe or maybe at Royal Quest or something like that. Um, but that's what I'm hoping happens. Any mm-hmm. final predictions from anybody? I just think this is a weird match as an opener, like compared to a normal New Japan show. I guess this is a little bit different being a New Japan show in America, but like, where's my, where's my, uh, Ren Narita and Shoto Mino singles, Young Alliance match or something like that. Well, we'll definitely be seeing them in action in the next match for this sure. Is but true. I, I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> my thoughts here, though, if I'm going to give you my prediction, I think that we'll probably see a GOD win, given the fact that they're the ROH and uh, IWGB tag champions, and look to maybe see, not necessarily leading to a split, but maybe the, the beginning seeds of some sort of tension between Rapongi 3K here. Mm. Hey, how about this? You expect uh, some sort of run-in from the Briscoe brothers? Oh, I mean that—that that is that's a possibility. I know they're having another title match, I believe, sometime later at the end of this month, and they've been—that's been a pretty hot feud with the Briscoes and God. I mean, it is possible. I mean, they're in the states, and I'm sure the Briscoes—that'd be an easy flight for them there. So, I mean, it's possible, but um, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. What's your prediction, mm. Jeremy? Um, I, I think I'm going to go with G.O.D. retaining barely or just winning barely, um, you know, having to cheat. You know, we've, we've been seeing Tam up getting the roll, roll up of the tights lately. So I think he's going to roll up your show with the tights and cheat, cheat to beat here. And Chris, what do you think? You think we're going to see a, a, a interference that leads to a Rapongi 3K win or is G.O.D. taking this? <laughs> I I think you do one or the other. I think you either do the upset story of uh, Yoan Show uh, taking the surprise win, or you have a, a strong win by the Gorillas only for the the Briscoes to come in post match and create insanity. I would like to see Show and Yo win, if if for nothing else, just a chance for them to maybe even challenge for the titles and give yeah. God a new challenger down the line, maybe a King of Pro Wrestling or something. Yeah, I'd like to see that. So next up, we have Shota Umino teaming up with Tomohiro Ishii to take, take on, my money. <laughs> take yeah. on Ren Narita and Jeff Cobb. <sighs> that's a great looking match. I I think that's the easily the most exciting tag match on this entire card for me. Woo. Yeah, that, hot take. This could be a, a low key like strong style match of the night, actually. I think we've got the best young lions going at the moment than we've had in like I cannot even remember like probably since that like when Yo and Show were were young lions but I right now like between Umino Narita Uamura like there's so much talent there I honestly enjoy watching the young lions more than I enjoy watching the main eventers most of the time um, and yeah that like this pairing like with dudes like Ishii and Cobb. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this one. Yeah. Do you want my hot take, Chris? What? Best young lines class 
since Hashimoto, Chono, Mudo, and Liger. Ooh, dang. Wow. <laughs> all right, I'm there for that. I'm there for that. <laughs> the thing of all four of these guys, like the rivalry between Umino and Narita, both these guys are always trying to one-up each other to prove who's like kind of the head of the class or the t- top young lion. And then the same thing with like Ishii and Jeff Cobb. Whenever they face off, it's they're trying to see like who's stronger, who's tougher, um, who can do like the harder strikes, the harder strikes, and the bigger suplexes. So all these guys are going to try to one up each other in this match, and I think we're going to get some real good action here. Mm. Remember that Ishii Cobb match that we saw WrestleMania weekend in New Orleans? Yes, at the uh, WrestleCon Super Show. I, I think that. I'm more excited. Dang, I think I'm more excited for the Young Lions interactions with the with the veterans more so yes. than the other one. So like. Umino across the ring from Cobb and Narita across the ring from uh, Ishii again. Like, I, I think that'll be fire. I think the obvious answer for the winner here is going to be Ishii hitting the brain buster on Narita just because Narita is the, the more junior of the two uh, young lions. Yep, I agree. Yep, likely. So then we got the third matchup here with Chaos's Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto taking on the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Jay White. Wow. Well, you know, we've talked about the promo that Jay White cut on Goto. Obviously, there's bad blood still between Goto and White that's going to need to be resolved here during the G1. Um, you know, for those of you who are listening, if, you, if you've never watched a G1 in the past, typically what we'll see a lot of is tag matches involving the participants of the other block. Like, for instance, on this night, it's A block the people who are participating in B block like Goto and Jay white, they usually have tag team partners and they'll face one another prior to their actual G one match. So it's almost always like a small little preview, which is nice because every night on the tour, you get a little, a little teaser for what's to come, which does somewhat make watching the whole G one show worth it every night, which is surprising. But, um, you know, with Yoshihashi and Chase Owens, two guys who are not in the G1, but who are chomping at the bit to be involved here, uh, especially with them all being in Dallas and being in the U.S. for the first night of the G1, I expect big performances from everybody all around. I'm mostly excited for Goto across the ring from Jay, but yeah, this match, this match could be something. So who do you think's taking this one, Chris? Uh, I think we are looking at... I think Goto is, is pinning Chase in this one. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, GTR on Chase for the win. Yeah, I think that's the most logical uh, I, you know, decision just because Chase, that's his role. He takes pinfall losses. He, he does awesome moves, and then he takes pinfall losses. Plus, it'll strengthen Goto and cause people to believe in him a bit more. Coming off, the last time we saw him, he lost to White, so he needs something here to be uh, revitalized a bit before, it, before they go one-on-one with one another. And speaking of Goto, we had a Reddit question here from Reddit user Bravo Tango Zulu. He says, research tells me that Goto and Ishii have been in the same block since 2015. Is this coincidence or is it Goto-Ishii match just that good? It bears repeating every year. He says, I only started watching NJPW with last year's G1 and admittedly missed that year's Goto-Ishii match. Go back and watch it. Five stars. Yes. Anytime Goto and Ishii step in the ring together, it's a strong style fight of the year candidate. They're throwing bombs. They're throwing suplexes, lariats. It's amazing. I will yep, say that is, that is my new Japan right there. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and you're absolutely right. 
though out of all of the matches that are going to be occurring during this G1, the one matchup that has occurred more times in the G1 or even just in general than any other matchup, especially in the G1, is Goto and Ishii. They have been at going to war for forever, it seems like. So um, expect that to be just an awesome mat- match when they end up you know, across the ring from one another. Then our last undercard match of the night, we have a six-man tag with Jushin Thunder Liger teaming up with Juice Robinson and Toro Yano to take on Los Ingobernables de Japón of Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito. Oh, man. Uh, well, it's Liger's last – well, we don't know for sure, but it'll be the last time I see him live in the U.S. for sure. Probably the last time I see him live wrestling ever – um, in person, and you got to wonder, like, do they go the nostalgia route and have Liger's team pick up the win, or do they do what New Japan does in a lot of these cases where he takes a pinfall loss? Yeah, I think we've seen pretty much his whole run this year. You would expect him to get some wins, and he still ends up uh, taking the pinfall. So I'm thinking that um, LIJ is going to get the pin by pinning Liger, probably Naito or maybe Shingo pin and Liger. They do have Bushi, though, who's susceptible, and maybe someone like Juice or Yano could pick up that win over him. That's true. What do you think, Chris? I could definitely see uh, Juice getting that win over Bushi. I mean, I'd love for them to end with a real happy, you know, big win for Liger, but that's not really New Japan style. Um I, I think we might get more of a sentimental goodbye to to Liger perhaps on those Super J Cup shows. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in, in this case, um, I'm picking uh, Juice getting the big uh, home country win over, over Bushi, I'd say. Nice. Yeah, I think in this case, just because we all kind of know how Shingo and Naito are going to do during this tournament. I'd hate to see Liger eat a Destino (laughs) 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 or last of the dragon. So I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I'm going to go with the Yano roll up over Bushi. That seems the most logical thing to me. Gotcha. I don't know. I'm going going with LIJ. Somebody, somebody pinning Liger. Ooh. (laughs) So (laughs) now we get into the meat potatoes of the night. The first uh, block match of a block for the 29th G- grade one climax, Will Ospreay versus Lance Archer. Yep, the aerial assassin versus the American psycho. Isn't this strange? The first G1 match is involving Lance Archer. It's a little <laughs> bit weird to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't seem quite weird, but their New Japan Cup match was awesome. They had a great chemistry in total. Mm. A great story, the normal big man, little man stuff. But, you know, Osprey's just on a whole other level than most of your little guys. And he really made um, Archer shine in that match. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to this rematch here. I think they're going to have another great match. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, this has a, a lot of potential based off of how good that cup match was. Uh, Osprey brings the best out of everyone, and I, I definitely expect him to bring the best out of Archer. And Archer, in his own right, he's solid, and he, he I love, like, 
the aggressiveness that he brings in his matches. And it seems like if ever, this is like the most motivated we're going to see him because this is his potential for a, a singles run, which we haven't seen a Lance Archer singles run in New Japan for, gosh, I can't even remember how long. So well, I think gonna, this he might be bringing it. He's going to have to do something with the fact that Davey, Davey Boy Smith is no longer with New Japan. This is his coming out party. Uh, I yep. think he's been removed from the G1 for, what, six years now? Yeah. First, first G1 in six years. So this is this is make or break for him. Um, we do know that he did quite a bit of promotion for the G1 in Dallas, him being a Texas native. I think he's from Dallas, right? Yeah, he's from Dallas. He's done a lot of yeah. work in the local uh, scene with interviews, getting stuff in the newspaper, giving out tickets to fans at uh, various uh, businesses. So he's been doing a lot of work on the street, uh, getting the word out about this show. With uh, – with New Japan, they love to do big upsets on the first night. It is a staple of Gato's booking. And the fact that Will Ospreay is expected to do very well in this tournament, uh, a la, you know, say a Prince Devitt in the past, uh, that's kind of the template for what we're, we're aiming for. I got to tell you, a lot of people probably think Osprey is going to beat Archer once again. I think that I'm going with the Archer upset here. Yeah, I'm also going with the Archer upset. I think he's going to get that uh, win back from the New Japan Cup and get a big win in his uh, home city here. Hmm. I, uh, I'm i picking Osprey. I want to be the upset here. <laughs> Chris, Chris is a smarter man than us. We're, we're, we're trying to get all cute with it. And he's like, guys, Osprey's a star. Archer's not. Osprey. <laughs> I can see where you're coming from, though. It's not not like too out of school with your your pick there, but yeah, I'm thinking it's it's right for business to be putting Osprey over here. So next up, we have the King of Darkness, Evil, taking on the Rogue General, Bad Luck Fale. Ooh, this <laughs> might be rough goings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what to expect here. We don't know what to expect from Fale. Um, evil for me. I, I'm not the biggest evil fan in the world, to be honest with you. I think he's a very good worker, but I never really bought into the character too much. And in the G1, it's really – it's hit and miss. Sometimes he's very, very great. Sometimes he's just okay. He's never bad, obviously. I mean, evil's a great – he's a very good worker. But given you know him and Fale, this actually could be awesome. It could be a really hard-hitting, strong-style match. Or it could be slow plotting, a lot of like weird character work, a lot of choking and rest holds. I don't really know what to expect here. A lot of like, you know, out like out in the crowd, like brawling. This this could suck, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, personally I think the the shorter the better here. They need to go out there, have a nice little hoss match, maybe go like about ten minutes, get in and get out and go from there. Yeah. And I do think Fale goes over here. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Evil. I don't think that's a bad pick. Um, you know, I'm going to go with Bad Luck Folly on the first night of the G1. All right. So then, uh, that's, that's a toss-up. I mean, yeah. I really don't know. You yeah. Know? I, mm. that, one, that one could go either way. I guess it really – like, I'm right now I'm giving predictions based off of just looking at this card in a vacuum. I think my real predictions will be a little bit more focused once I finalize my G1 predictions. Cause then I'll know how I feel like points wise and stuff points like that. wise, they should book this out. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I'll just go with hmm. all 
So next up, we have Cole Skull Sonata taking on the pro wrestling master, Zack Sabre Jr. Very, very interesting. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but they just wrestled over in England on Saturday night, uh, part of the RevPro Ungovernable event. Sonata, who was 6-0 in his run in RevPro, uh, earned a shot at the undisputed British heavyweight title against Zack Sabre Jr. He was defeated, and Zack Sabre is still your undisputed British champion. So this is the return match just days later. And I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to this match. I loved yeah. their match last year. And I know Chris did too. Their match mm-hmm. last year was like the most world of sport centric match that I've seen in New Japan in a long time. And I'm so excited to see them wrestle again. Yeah, I yeah, really same. yeah, I really enjoyed anytime Sonata and Saber getting the ring together. And it's pretty much like you guys kinda of mentioned like that world of sports style and a lot of really great uh technical wrestling. Um and yeah, I just really enjoyed their previous matches. So who you guys think's winning this one? I think uh, Zach will be taking this one to get things off uh, to a hot start. I, I do really think this is where this card really heats up. Um, I have big expectations for this match. Um, at the same time, I could, I could see uh, Sonata picking up a, a win to get off to a hot start as well. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I think of all of the matches, this is the most like of a pick kind of one that I'm not sure of, to be honest. I'm going with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. here, just based off of last year's G1 Sonata uh, beat Sabre in their block. So I think we'll kick it off here with Sabre kind of avenging that loss. And it was Sonata that knocked Zack Sabre out of the running last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very interesting storylines there. Um, I got to tell you, with Sonata – doing so well in the uh, New Japan Cup this year and his new look and new attitude. And it seems like there might be even be more of a focus on him as a singles competitor going forward. I think he's going to have a strong tournament. He did just lose to Zach Saber. Zach Saber. I know that what happens in Rev Pro doesn't have 100% bearing on New Japan's booking, but and they don't always do 50-50 booking. But the fact that he just lost to Zach Saber and this is a non-title match – I'm going to go with Sonata here. I think Sonata's picking up the win, getting a strong first night to the tournament. I expect Zack Sabre to have a better tournament overall, personally. But Sonata's going to get the big win on the first night. I can see that. So that brings us to our semi-main event of the evening. Oh, my God. We have Golden Star. (laughs) (laughs) The Golden Star, Kota Ibushi, taking on Kenta. Wow. This is like the kind of thing where I'm like, you guys are seeing this in person. My <laughs> gosh, you are lucky. <laughs> Previously on this podcast, I'd actually said that I remember Ibushi and Kenta having several matches in the past and I wasn't completely incorrect, but I was kind of incorrect. So Ibushi and Kenta have a long storied past with one another from their Noah days but only in tag team action. And generally it was during their, uh, I forget what the name, what's the name of their junior tag league? Uh, so we've got the, um, I think it's like the, the junior league or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to that. But I think the, the one that they previously um, had the, the really famous match against one another was, was it the, the Differ cup? It might have been the Differ Cup. That that's possible. They've had several uh, tag matches throughout the years, from dating back from '04 all the way up to the last match they had it was in '09. 
but they have never faced one another in singles action. So that's why this is very intriguing because it's the first time we're getting Abushi and Kenta one-on-one ever, and it's on U.S. soil for New Japan. And I, I'm so excited for this. Like, I can't believe how excited I am for this. Yeah, this match is going to be incredible. Uh, I mean, this is a match of the year uh, candidate written all over it, strong style fight of the year candidate. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. You know, been a big fan of Kenta um, from, you know, the Ring of Honor stuff I used to see with like him versus Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe and all those guys. And, um, you know, we, we had a disappointing, you know, WWE run, but he looks like he's in good shape now. He's motivated, and I think we're going to get some great action out of Kenta in this tournament, and I think it all starts here with this match for Bushi. Yeah, I'm almost like nervous that like of, of the whenever you have such lost, lofty expectations of a match like this, it's like it it oh, how do, how are they going to live up to these expectations? Especially haven't seen uh, Kenta for for the last couple of years, uh, you know, being not motivated and and not being in in a position to be the the Noah. Kenta that we remember, um, but but this is the test, right? Like this is this match is going to completely tell us where Kenta's at. Like if ever you're going to be motivated to like return to the the Kenta that we used to know and love, this would be it. So, oh man, I'm I'm really excited, but I'm like nervous at the same time. I totally feel you on that one. Uh, so the tough question now: Who are we picking, Abushi or Kenta? Well, I want to give my thoughts. Good. <laughs> so with Kenta being riddled with um, injuries and being hampered by the agents in uh, WWE and 205 Live, there's a lot of questions left to be remained. Does he still have it? And there's no greater talent in the world that you can face to find out the answer to that question than Kota Ibushi. Given their mm-hmm. history with one another, given the level of talent that they are, we're going to find out how good Kenta still is. And this is a huge stage for them to do it on. Um, I'm also looking forward. I don't think this is necessarily going to be a, a New Japan style match because we've got like two outsiders really facing off here. That's a good point. Abushi is this guy who can do everything. You want to do comedy, he can do it. You want to do high flying, he can do it. You want to do grappling and shoot style wrestling, he can do it. You want to do a strike centric, hard hitting, you know, kickboxing style match, he can do it. You know, he can he can brawl. He can literally Kotobushi can do anything. And Kenta talking on that uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast about how he wants to show the world Kenta's pro wrestling, it leads me to believe that he's prepared and he's in the zone for this match. Um, I think that this is going to be the reemergence in the coming out party for Kenta. Ibushi's yeah. still going to have a very, very great tournament. But, you know, if the Ibushi from last year's G1 shows up, like you said, Jeremy, we're looking at a classic here. I think that on this night, Kenta's winning. And yeah, that's, that's my pick, pick also. I think um, you're going to get Kenta that big win first night in the company, beats a big star, and you heat this man up going into the G1, the rest of the G1. Yeah, I think it'd be a huge mistake to do anything but put Kenta over here. Um, it, to me, it, it's pretty straight up booking. You know, new guys in, you got to get some steam on him. This is the opportunity to do so. This is a coming out party. So, yeah, big expectations, but I'm hoping for a, just a big, spectacular Kenta win here. My only question with this, I personally see Kenta in this tournament at some point. Well, he's going to face Okada, obviously. I think that if he beats Okada, 
he's a perfect challenger at King of Pro Wrestling. But if he mm-hmm. beats Kota Bushi on this first night, he also could potentially have title implications for the IC title, given the fact that Ibushi is the reigning champion. Does that Ibushi is not the reigning champion? Oh, sir. you're right. You're right. What am I thinking? <laughs> I'm so used to seeing him with that white belt around his waist because it looks perfect on him that I forgot he's yes. not the champion anymore. Okay, <laughs> disregard all the stupid stuff I said. Kenta's definitely winning. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to our main event of the evening. Oh, my God. The Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, taking on the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi. We all know the storied rivalry and history between Okada and Tanahashi and just how excellent every single Okada and Tanahashi match is. Uh, they've been dying to do this match in the U.S. for a long time now. They're finally getting this opportunity. And... You know, I, I've never seen a bad Okada-Tanahashi Okada match. I know Tanahashi's looking rough, but I'm still expecting a great match here. Let, let's be clear here. We've never seen anything less than a great match of the year contender level match between Okada and Tanahashi. Yeah. What are, what are you thinking on this one, Chris? I, 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 again, very high expectations for this match. This is like, you know, one of the feuds of modern-day New Japan. You know, you guys talk about it on the last episode, like the, the cachet behind this, this feud. Uh, you know, people have talked about this, like the Flair Steamboat, like the Masawa Kawada type of thing. This is yes. like a generational feud. Um, so high expectations. I, I loved their match last year. Uh, that was for the, um, for the, the streak, basically, for the, the most title defenses. Oh, what, uh, uh, that was Bankaku. like... Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorite matches of, of the year. Uh, I, I thought that was so great. Um, and then the the G1 uh, performance as well last year. But I, I I could see as much as we're saying, like Tanahashi may just be riddled with injuries and he wasn't looking that great. I, I think some of my favorite thing about these guys' feuds, uh, like how smart the matches have been and like the layers of storytelling and, and like it's not all about just, you know, high, spect- big, spectacular moves. Like, there's a lot more more subtlety in the storytelling, and and cleverness in the storytelling. So, I think I'm I'm looking forward to a match here that that's based around Tanahashi's limitations and injuries, um, and and Tanahashi just trying to to, to fight. You know, even though his his body may not be allowing him to to get to, to what he wants, um, and just that like spirit of, of keeping on. Like, I think this match could have a lot. Like, I'm even more excited about it with the idea of how interesting it could be, based around Tanahashi's limitations in this sense. Yeah, I mean, last year you you brought up that Dantaku match, and there's a lot of parallels between this match and that, because at the time. Okada was in the middle of that legendary IWGP title defense reign. And we had questions about the future of Tanahashi at the time. And then obviously Tanahashi started streaking. Okada lost the title, lost himself, lost his damn sanity. And uh, dur- he got some balloons though. He had some balloons, that's correct. But uh, those last two matches that they had, obviously Tanahashi came out on the better side of them. So, now we're at a point where Okada's the man again. He's the rainmaker. He's at an all-time popular – like, this is the highest level of popularity he's ever enjoyed in this company. And Tanahashi is arguably more popular, but he's riddled with, you know, injuries. 
and he might be on the downside of his prime at this point. And so it seems like Father Time is starting to catch up. And the real question is, can he do it again? Can the ace ride again? Or is Okada going to establish himself and show that he truly is the face of this company and the, the true reigning ace at this point in time in New Japan's history? Yeah, you know, we looked to last year to see how their matches were going. You know, in the G1 last year, they had that uh, time limit draw. And then they ended up having another match, I believe it was at what, King of Pro Wrestling? Yeah. Um, where um, Tanahashi beat Okada, and that kind of led him into the Dome and winning the IWG, IWGB, uh, IWGP title from Kenny Omega. And so I think that uh, Okada is going to come back and kind of avenge that loss here. And I think we're going to see Okada uh, beat Tanahashi. Was it not Destruction Tour? It might have been Destruction. Because I think at King of Pro Wrestling, he faced Jay White. Yeah, you're right. So it was a destruction. It was destruction, yeah. I believe. But um, I got to tell you, I think the easy answer here is Okada's the top guy. I don't think he's losing to Tanahashi on U.S. soil. He's the face of this company. And we saw him win in MSG against Jay White. And he's winning here. He's taking – he's going to hold on to that uh, – <laughs> he's going to hold yep. on to that uh, – wrist control and he's going to hit him with the freaking rainmaker and put him to sleep hmm. yeah yeah i think i agree i think um okada is taking this one mainly based off of how those last couple of matches have, have gone like this is okada's time to really show that he's back um and especially against tanahashi who's eaten a couple of losses from most recently this sort of further cements that big win on american soil yeah i think okada's taking this one Nice. Well, that wraps up uh, predictions for G1 in Dallas. Uh, there's still plenty of time to enter in our G1 Climax Prediction Contest. Um, great prizes for the winner. Uh, Neo, Geo, Neo Geo Mini Japanese Edition. Um, keeping a Strong Style t-shirt and a chance to be a guest host on the show. You know what I realized? Even though we announced last week that we will not be paying for the shipping of a Keeping a Strong Style shirt, we're going to have to pay for the shipping of that Neo Geo. So there you go. We'll, we'll, pay, for, we'll pay for the shipping for Neo Geo. You pay for the shipping for the Keeping a Strong Style shirt. Also, now that the, shout out to William. We saw William this uh, past weekend at Fighter Fest. Uh, thank you so much for uh, supporting us and helping us to uh, have that awesome prize. But once it got here and I opened up the package and I saw the, the list of games, King of Fighter, Metal Slug X, all these different I, – I want the Neo Geo. I don't even want to give it to like, <laughs> I want to keep it. <laughs> well, I think a Can lot you of enter people, your own competition here? Uh, we, we do enter. We do enter it. <laughs> if we ever win, we're keeping the prize. <laughs> Good. But so far, we've, we've never won. So <laughs> no worries there to people entering. But, uh, you know, a lot of people want the Neo Geo. I posted it on Twitter, and a lot of people – we're kind of marking out, you know, our, our good friend, um, Abby the Butcher, who's a photographer for a lot of indie shows and a lot of wrestling shows. He was like, what? He was like, I'm entering right now. <laughs> Actually, Chris, I think you know Abby the Butcher. I, I forget his real name, but you know him in real life, but I, I forget his name. We see him every year at WrestleMania weekend. It's so weird, those people, to where you're like, I... You, either, you know their face, but you have no idea of the, the name or like Twitter side of things. And then sometimes I'll find out someone that I actually know is someone that I also know on Twitter. And it's like these two worlds coming together. Absolutely. 
<laughs> hey, I I popped big on the last episode when I was listening to it, and I heard you cut the promo on. We're not paying for this shipping anymore. <laughs> Dude, we've had so many international winners, uh, Middle East, everybody uh, that Canada, our, everybody that wins our contest lives very far away, and it's getting. <laughs> and like we mentioned earlier on the show, there there is no money here. <laughs> no, I was just kayfabe, and there's tons of money. <laughs> <laughs> really need some winners in florida come on florida yeah. i know uh rich is joking he says once he's winning he's gonna just gonna drive over we got some questions we gotta get to right uh, real quick uh, hey, before to- the questions i was just gonna say what are you guys thinking of the attendance uh looking like for this show i know they've had some some troubles selling these these tickets um I have this weird thing where I'll like jump on Ticketmaster and just have a look how the, the tickets are going from the sales map. I don't know why I do that, but I'll, I'll do it because I'm just hoping that more tickets have, have moved. They've kind of like curtained off so it's a smaller setup of the arena. I am still seeing some some decent little amount of blue tickets there. Uh, do you think they'll be, they'll be selling most of those out by the time the show rolls, rolls around? Here, here's some things we do know. Um, one, from what we've heard from reports is that already at the point where they're at, even though they're not sold out or even close to it, new Japan's not unhappy with the ticket sales because they're already profitable. So there's that. Um, the second thing is that we've heard rumors from our sources that there is a contingency of fan club members that are blocked off that have already gotten tickets that are not being accounted for from most major sites. Right. Yeah. And also, too, um, New Japan's expecting a big walk-up crowd day of of people getting tickets. So it's going to be very interesting to see how full it ends up being by the time the first match kicks off. There's this part of us that hopes that there's not a lot of press so that when we go in with our credentials, we get unfettered access to everybody. But that's kind of selfish on our part. <laughs> I hope that there... <laughs> on a more holistic level i hope that there's a lot of coverage and there's a there's a huge turnout um i mean i with this card that's announced i don't see why there wouldn't be better uh ticket sales but you know it's dallas it's not a great wrestling market it's you know with the way that the the market is now with aw and all these other big promotions running shows at you know that have flying crowds especially wrestlemania weekend it is tough to see how many people really will fly in for something like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting. You say one of the best wrestling markets in the world, like, but I guess there aren't any Von Erics on this show, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Von Erics are in uh, MLW. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, 1982 world-class was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. So real quickly, I need to name our wrestler of the month and the match of the month for June. Oh my God, this year's flying by. We're halfway through. Yeah, it, you know, this one was very easy. Hands down, the wrestler of the month is Will Ospreay with um, just his incredible performance at the end of the best of Super Juniors. And then... And all of the Super Juniors. Right. And uh, yep. Dominion and also now at uh, Southern Showdown. Easily Will Ospreay, uh, Wrestler of the Month. There couldn't be any other. Like, there, there was a lot of people that had great months, but Will is just killing this year. Uh, I yep. lost count. What is this? Is fifth? 
no, this is his fourth or fifth um, wrestler of the month award during our award season, like dating back to December. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And then the uh, the match of the month is Will Ospreay versus Shingo from the Best of the Super Junior Finals. Awesome match. Such a great match. So those are our awards, man. And at the halfway point of the year, I got to tell you, Will Ospreay right now is the wrestler of the year. And him yep, shooing. I don't know if anybody can take it from this guy. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah, he's yeah. Well, him in the G1, he's, he's running away with this thing. Also, speaking of which, I just want to put this out there. So we obviously we keep track of wrestling matches that are occurring outside of New Japan for our excursion match of the year. And there was a period during April where this guy had – no, I'm sorry, five – match of the year caliber matches in seven days on three different continents back to back to back every match was between four and five stars um he had that incredible match with a kid in uh triple w at triple w at triple mania and then he went over to progress and he had that swords of essex versus uh aussie open tlc match that if you haven't seen it Go out of your way to see it because it might be the craziest TLC match outside of those early 2000 TLCs from WWE. Insane. Then he came to Mark Davis represent. <laughs> Bro, Mark Davis. Yeah, he did. Mark Davis did some crazy stuff in that match. Kyle, my boy. Um, and then, you know, he went over to WrestleMania weekend. He had that incredible match with Suzuki Goon against him and Tanahashi. He had the match with Jeff Cobb in the, in the garden. And then he had one other match that I'm, like, losing. Oh, he had the Bandito match at WrestleCon Super Show. It's like, how can anybody think that this guy isn't the wrestler of the year right now? <laughs> yeah. And that was just that seven-day period. That's not even taking into account the New Japan Cup and the best of Super Juniors and now the G1 that's happening and all of his junior title matches this year. This guy's – bro, he's blowing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> he's just in another level right now. And so real quickly, a few um, off-topic questions. Uh, first, from Reddit user ablue3, he says, have you seen that Gabriel Kidd from RevPro is joining the LA Dojo? Um, yes, I did see that news, but I'm not that familiar with Gabriel Kidd. Chris, are you? No, no, not really. I've, I've watched a fair bit of RevPro, but I've actually fallen out of the loop of it in the last little while. So, no, he's a one guy that I'm not too sure about. What about you, young boy? I don't know Gabriel Kidd. I know they had the ungovernable event this past weekend, and that's when um, Shibata made a guest appearance there at RevPro and offered um, Gabriel Kidd an opportunity to be part of the LA Dojo. I know Gabriel Kidd is like a UK mainstay. He was in Defiant and RevPro and like that, but uh, I don't know him very well. I'm not too familiar with the UK scene, to be honest with you, but I'm excited because all the other guys that they got in that LA Dojo are studs. So Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Uh, next question from Reddit user Maserati. He says, the last show he caught was Dominion. What do I absolutely need to watch to catch up with? Well, to be caught up with the G1, I would say nothing. Right. I mean, you, you really don't have to watch the Casino Road Tour if you don't have time. I mean, nothing really out of this world happened on, on that tour. I don't think the last show he watched was Dominion. Yeah. I don't think you have to watch it any of the Kazuna Road or even <laughs> Showdown shows to be caught up. Now, do you want to – are there matches that I would recommend from those tours? Absolutely. Very few of them play into the G1. So if all you're trying to do is be caught up for the G1, 
just jump in, man. Uh, next question from Reddit user Zach Saber Time. He says, Jeremy, I need stardom recommendations, please. Two weeks ago, you talked about how hooked you were. He said, damn it, now I'm hooked too. It's good shit, but literally. Such good shit. <laughs> Such good shit. Um, so, Zach Saber Time, I do have a few recommendations for you. Check out uh, B. Priestley vs. Kagetsu from the Queen Quest uh, produce show during the Golden Week for the World Disturbed title. Also, I would check out uh, some of the semifinals and finals matches of the Cinderella tournament. Uh, I would check out uh, Momo Watanabe versus Tony Storm, uh, Arisa Shiko versus Momo for the Wonder Star title, and also uh, Bia Priestley versus Kunami uh, for the World Star title. I think those are some great matches to kind of check out. And then if you have time, just go ahead and continue to dive in onto these um, stardom shows. They're a lot of fun and a lot of us uh, solid wrestling. Uh, Chris, do you watch uh, any stardom? I mainly focus on uh, on Sendai Girls, um, and I I don't know. I guess it's like a bit of a different style um, with stardom. I, I used to uh, be be quite into stardom back in the day when um, Meiko Satomura was doing more stuff over there. But no, I've, I haven't sort of been keeping tabs on them more recently. You're more into the Sendai Girls stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, James Boyd and our team, he's becoming the, uh, the Joshi expert. So, uh, Zach Saber time, you can hit up James also. He's a um, religious viewer now of stardom and uh, Joshi scene. So, he, he will have some more uh, match recommendations for you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James asked me the other day, have you seen such and such match with blah, blah, blah versus blah, blah, blah from the blah, blah, blah show? And I was like, no, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to watch anything outside of New Japan. Like, this is dominating my life. <laughs> um, question from uh, Muzza. He wants to know, how many title matches do you think we'll see uh, Royal Quest getting? Um, well, I definitely think there's going to be an IWGP title match. I agree. Uh, I could see there being a British Cruiserweight title match, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised for there to be a, a Rev Pro title match. Uh, like the like the junior, maybe even the heavyweight. If Zach doesn't end up facing Okada, yeah, and maybe I would say a safe bet would be like a tag team title match. Yeah, mm. maybe like three, maybe three or four at most. I could see a junior title defense potentially if uh, Osprey still got it. Yeah, and also I mean Ishii gets um, pushed pretty heavily when he's in the UK. They could do a never title match also. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I could see any of those things. I do think with New Japan and the UK market, they see that as being a very viable market for them. Um, yeah. Just because they've put a lot of effort into their uh, partnership with Red Pro, even more so than some of the US shows that they've done over here. And it being a smaller market, it's more obtainable, I think, for them than, say, the Australia market or the US. So they might really go all out for that show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the Strong Style Evolved show last year did seem to do really well. Like that that Milton Keynes Arena one, um, and like the the traction that they got with the ticket sales um, for this this one. It's like almost sold out, and that's like a, a big venue. I think it's going to draw more than the uh, what's that? They're doing an NXT takeover head to head with it or something, aren't they? The, yeah, the uh, the UK um, takeover that's going to be in Cardiff, Wales, I believe. For the NXT. Yeah, I I think the New Japan is going to kill the attendance of that show. Oh, I don't yeah. think it's even going to be a comparison. Yeah. 
So I think there's a lot of promise in the UK market, probably more than any other international market for New Japan right now. So I think they need uh, to make sure that, that they just... Say that one more time, Chris. They need to make sure what? Uh, yeah, I think they there's a lot of promise in the UK uh, market right now uh, with the, the track record that they've had and the ticket sales for this show. And I think they need to keep that going. Um, and yeah, they need to just hit that one out of the park on this show to, to keep that foothold that they've got in the UK market. Nice. Yeah. And speaking of the UK market, another question from Muzza. He said, thoughts on Hikaleo going on excursion to RevPro? Well, I think that Hikaleo is a guy that we see a lot of promise and a lot of uh, potential in. And um, I don't know necessarily, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not as familiar with Red Pro or even the UK scene. Um, I do know that in the past, Red Pro is, at one point was like a dream match destination. But it seems lately they become more of like a mainstay UK hotbed because the way that that market has changed. I've taken a look at a lot of the Red Pro shows and cards, and they're kind of um, dominated by, like, your Zacks and your Pox, but the majority of the undercard is exclusively UK talent. Um, I don't know how the excursion has gone necessarily for Great O'Karn. We heard a lot of mixed things, and then he hasn't wrestled since February. So hopefully... Really? Yeah, he hasn't wrestled... Well, he might be wrestling in the indies because he does hold a title in some other company that there's no record of. There's nothing on the internet about it at all. And I'm guessing there's a good chance he might be working like smaller indie shows that are not even being put up on cage match. But as far as like wrestling in red pro, he hasn't wrestled since February. So we don't know what to think about that, but Hikaleo being over there, he's got the bullet club name cache. He's got the, uh, and I know that him and, um, El Phantasma will be doing tag matches and that sort of thing. And he's got the name value being, you know, one of the brothers of G.O.D., the son of Haku, and the size over there as well. So this might be a really good learning opportunity for him. And I, every time I see him wrestle, he makes a significant strides. This is not a lazy guy. He's getting better every time I see him. Yeah, I remember yeah. the first time we saw him, we weren't completely really sold on him. But, yeah, he's gotten so much better um, every time he's getting in the ring. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I agree 100%. He's just better and better. First time I saw him, I was like, oh, who's this lanky-looking, uncoordinated dude? <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's, he's turning it up, um, and I, I think this UK excursion will be very good for him because um, like, I guess the other options would be Mexico, where I think that would be a terrible decision, um, or the, the United States, which isn't really going to – too much for him, I would say. So I think the UK is the place for him to be. Um, and, yeah, it's a very strong market at the moment. Rev Pro is a perfect place for him. They have a lot of smaller shows they do as well, like the the cockpit shows. And I feel like just him getting experience, working like good hands um, in that kind of an environment um, will do wonders for him. So, yeah, I think it's a good move. You don't want to see Hikaleo versus Hitchisero? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a challenge for Hechicero, wouldn't it? Hikaleo versus Negro Casa? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to do it for our questions, yeah, right? Yeah, that wraps up for the questions. Uh, Josh, you want to uh, finish us off real quick with the news? Yeah, so let's get into the news. And by the way, now that we've got uh, Chris on the show, my favorite uh, segment from his show, 
Old news. <laughs> Old news. <laughs> Chris's uh, podcast runs bi-weekly, and so a lot of news will come up, you know, in the weeks uh, when they're not recording. So him and Jeremy will they'll do news that's like two weeks old. And old news. <laughs> the first time I heard that, I popped so hard. I'm not even gonna lie. But uh, so we got Thanks, news. Guys. The news based out of New Japan. So for those attending the G1 show in Dallas, uh, earlier today, New Japan uh, at NJPW1972.com, they launched their uh, G1 merchandise list. So I know a bunch of you are merch heads, just like Jeremy sitting next to me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So they have a list of all the merch that you can get there. There's quite a few exclusive shirts and exclusive uh, bits of merch that you can only get there that are related to the show in Dallas. So definitely check that out. If you want to uh, get a chance to buy that. Um, also big news. So the uh, parent company of new Japan pro wrestling Bushi road is going to be going public. They're doing a, a initial public offering an IPO and they'll be filing for that. How that will affect new Japan and their business. I don't know. Um, right. New Japan is one sixth of what brings in money to Bushi road. Um, so, you know, they do a lot of other things too, along with new Japan. So it's going to be very interesting to see how them being, um, becoming public is going to affect new Japan down the road. Now I will say that the, um, Tokyo stock exchange, I do work in finance. So I'll tell you this, the Tokyo stock exchange works very differently from other major markets like the New York stock exchange. So it may in no way affect uh, business with New Japan Pro Wrestling. On the other hand, conversely, it could very greatly affect them. It might be a positive thing in it and give them a huge influx of cash. I know for people like Harold and I who have part ownership in the company, it's going to be great for them financially. Um, but we've seen how it's affected companies like WWE and things like that long term. So I don't know what this means. Um, I'm going to be optimistic in the meantime. And as we learn more about it, we'll let you know. But yeah, they're going public. There were some notes, though, from the public filing that uh, I figured I should let you guys know about. So um, this is coming from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Uh, Bushi Road's director, Harold uh, George Mai's salary is $691,000 per year, which I feel kind of like a jerk saying this on the you know, on the air, like just airing people's public want, you know, earnings. But uh, I will tell you this. That is a very significantly low earning for a president of a major company like New Japan. And from what we do know about Harold Mai, he's a pretty wealthy guy. So I think that's actually a good sign. It shows that this is somebody who's taking a lower salary, um, probably to try and help benefit the company. I don't know what you guys think about that. Mm. So I know that they spoke about him um, taking more of a... a ownership uh, interest as opposed to maybe they've leveraged more so than him getting a, a higher salary uh, that that sort of ownership of the the company might be something that he's taken instead of that so it does sound like he's, he's got very much of a vested interest in the continued success of new japan and and from the numbers that he's talked about looking for going forward it sounds like they're very lofty goals um but with how well they're doing in japan at the moment um i i, I think that 
they could do it, you know, stuff like two, two Tokyo domes in a row, like the, the proof will be in the pudding, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, most CEOs, at least here in the States for major companies like this, it's not unheard of for a, a president or a CEO to be earning upwards of a million or more than that. So, I mean, that's kind of a significant uh, cut, but you're absolutely right, Chris, uh, according to these reports, he was given 452,000 shares of Bushi Road stock, and he has a 3.01% ownership of uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, which in the equivalent terms right now are about $5 million worth of vested interest in the company, and it would be higher if the pump, if, when the company does go public. So that's a pretty smart idea on his hand. Um, directors and employees of Bushi Road do get stock options, but New Japan employees do not. So his contract will expire in mid to late 2020. Uh, Harold Mai also works as the external director of Earth Corporations, one of Japan's largest pharmaceutical companies. So he's pretty well off. But uh, Bushi Road made $270 million in revenue at the end of last year with $46 million from New Japan Pro Wrestling. So that's their um, second largest earner behind, I think the other one's called what? Uh, Dream something? Yeah. It's a video game? Yeah. Um, so this is their second largest property that they have. Um, this was 2 million more yen, um, in earnings last year than they earned the year prior. So this is the most profitable year New Japan has ever had, um, the most successful year for them financially. And right now the world subscribers are listed at a hundred thousand strong, which is very significant considering the fact that in Japan, Streaming is almost not even a thing. Like a mm-hmm. lot of those subscribers are outside of Japan. In Japan, they're still using Blu-rays. Well, yeah, yeah. For, whatever, for whatever reason, culturally, streaming has never taken off in that country. I don't understand it, but that's just the fact. And I think uh, more so than like the technology of streaming, it's like a big cultural thing of of some like recurring fees like recurring uh, automatic fees uh, are quite frowned upon so i think maybe that's that's part of it in the the cultural sense uh aside from that 2018 attendance was at 400,000 uh rough average with over 160 shows that averages out to about 2500 uh paid attendance per show that's a little under half of what WWE main roster shows did in 2018, but it's three times the amount of NXT shows. So those are some. I'd be interested to see like the the ticket sales and like the gross of those events compared to WWE events. I I gotta imagine it's significantly less, right? Because I know in Japan, like those, you know, I would think from my experience in buying tickets in Japan, it's a, a lot more expensive than buying WWE tickets. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Um, in other news, the super junior uh, tourney that's going to be taking place here on U.S. soil, the Tacoma show, completely sold out. The San Francisco show, oh. completely sold out. So at this point, I think they've got one other show in Los Angeles. I believe so, yeah. Uh, I believe those Walter Pyramid. Yeah, the Walter Finals. Oh, Walter Pyramid, yeah. So I don't think those are sold out. I think that's where they're holding the finals. Uh, I think that might tell you a little bit about that thing we talked about with diminishing returns, the fact that they've run the Walter Pyramid so many times. And it will remain to be seen if they've burned out that market there in L.A. or whether – Because they didn't do all that great the last show at Walter Pyramid. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, 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 you know, remain to be seen, but um, I have a feeling they're going to do well there. Just given the fact that they've, so. they've scaled down the actual amount of tickets, they're not trying to sell the building out. So I, I know that they're not doing the full 5,000 or 
what is it, 2,500, 5,000 there? I think it's like 5,000. I think it's four, four, maybe four, 4,500, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in that range, yeah. But, um, yeah, because I was there for the first one that they ran uh, at the Walter Pyramid, and it's a, just a beautiful venue, uh, really cool uh, basketball kind of elevated seating and everything. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping just you'd think with, like, the cachet of the Super J Cup name, like, that's probably where a lot of people first heard of Japanese wrestling or first watched, you know, those first Super J Cup matches. You'd hope they could leverage that a bit in the marketing, but they really need to announce some names, I think. They, they need some names. They need to do a lot more marketing. And I got to tell you uh... – Chris, even though you're absolutely right for a lot of Perezu fans, that's their entry point. Either that or the like FMW deathmatch stuff or like the uh, IWA stuff. But I think a lot of these newer fans in New Japan are not familiar with the Super J Cup at all, yeah. to be honest with you. So, like access viewers and stuff like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I think that they need to um, – the only thing we do know is that they're going to have people from Defy, from CMLL, from ROH and RevPro involved in this. They've already announced that. So that's a pretty cool thing, but they really should have some names so that we know what to expect. And I think we might see tickets uh, bolster in the final, but the fact that they sold out those two shows, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That last show will definitely pick up once we know who's in the tournament and what the potential final is going to be. One thing that's interesting about that, that I just wanted to check with you guys. Sure. That, last uh, tour that we had of the the States of New Japan, that smaller scale tour where they didn't have uh, any of the Japanese come over and it was all local guys. There was such a negative feeling about that from a a lot of your American kind of fans. Um, I mean, obviously part of that was out of their hands, but still it's almost like every show you you hear like a negative kind of vibe from a lot of people. Oh, there's so many Americans on this show, you know? They want more of a pure Japanese show. But the Super J Cup has always been about the outsiders coming in and mixing it up uh, with some of those top-level New Japan mainstays, uh, junior mainstays. So uh, almost like you mentioned some of those other companies they're working for in this tournament, working within this tournament. Do you think that when these, like, announcements come up with talent and there's going to be a lot of Americans on this show, I'm thinking are people going to kind of like have a negative kind of reaction to it like they have previously? Well, I'll tell you this. I think that um, you're absolutely right. The pre, like the early days of the J cup were always about that exactly working with outsiders and, you know, bolstering the junior division. But if you remember that last junior, uh, that last J cup, they did uh, a couple years back, it was all new Japan guys and it sucked. <laughs> Wait, what, wasn't that the one where they worked with Noah and they had a lot of Noah guys? I don't even think they had a lot no, of they Noah had, guys. I could where they honest. had Kanemaru in the finals when Kanemaru was still with Noah? They might have. I'm forgetting. But I just remember it feeling not the same. Like it didn't have that same vibe as when they were working with like Michinoku Pro and all those – and mm. War and all those companies. Um, so I think it would be exciting um, to have more of that throwback feel. I think the fact that Liger's involved, though, in booking this and that it's sort of his passion project, that might give us a better indication into what to expect. And that might give us some uh, hope for, you know, optimism when it comes to this tournament. Also, too, it's happening at a good time. It's happening during the G1 climax, um, kind of wrapping up. So a lot of the juniors are going to be kind of freed up um, to do this tournament. So I think we might get some of the top juniors who are not on the undercard of the G1 in this tournament. 
I guess a big one though, we're not going to have Osprey. True, yeah. That's true, but maybe maybe whoever wins this J Cup might be in line. Yeah. Maybe you get like a Phantasmo, maybe Robbie Eagles, maybe. Yeah. Put over Doki. (laughs) 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 Um, So um, there's a publication over in uh, Japan called Numbers Magazine. I got to tell you guys, I'm not familiar with them, but they did a list of the top, uh, a fan vote of the top 100 most popular wrestlers in Japan. And um, I'm going to run through the top. uh, I'll give you guys the top 20 real quick. Is this like ever or current? Current. And they okay. do this. They do this annually. Um, so at number twenty-one, Evil. Number twenty, Siri from. Um, she's a freelancer. Number nineteen, Asuka from WWE. Number eighteen, Katsuyori Shibata. Seventeen, uh, Naomichi Marafuji. Sixteen, Sonata. Fifteen, Tam Tam Nakano. Fourteen, Tarzan Yamamoto. Thirteen, Io Shirai. Twelve, Jun Kasai. Eleven. Hana Kimura, 10, Minoru Suzuki, number nine, Kairi Sane, number eight, Koto Ibushi, number seven, Hiromu Takahashi, number six, Jiro Ikemen Kurashio, number five. <laughs> Amazing. Number, six, uh, number five, Kenny Omega, uh, number four, Kazushika Okada, number three, Shinsuke Nakamura, number two, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and number one, Tetsuya Naito. These are not the right oh. – that's last year's. Yeah, I was say it's not right because the list I heard this year, Tanahashi was number one. Tanahashi was number one. And Sonata was number four. Oh my gosh, I, I thought I was all prepared to, and like I pulled this up on the like, yeah, I'm looking at the 2018 list. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's. So anyway, so dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I was still amazed to see Jun Kasai was that high. That is awesome. He was still high this year. Um, number one was Hiroshi Tanahashi just edging out Tetsuya Naito. Which, oh, oh, you know what? I've got it right here. Oh, my gosh. This Here we go. Round two. <laughs> okay. Yeah, number one was Hiroshi Tanahashi. Number two was Tetsuya Naito. Number three was Kazushika Okada. Four was Sonata. So Sonata jumped up from like 19 to number four, which is crazy. Number five, Kota uh, Kota Ibushi was number five. Hiromu Takahashi, six. Uh, Jiro Koroshio was still seven. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight was Marafuji. Nine was Kairi Sane. And 10 was Kento Miyahara. So um, also of note, Shingo Takagi at 12. And Kenny Omega dropped all the way to 15. Um, you know, Tetsuya Naito has won this back-to-back like the last two or three years and was leading in the polls until like the last few days. And then Tanahashi fans rallied together and they uh, outvoted Naito by a few votes. So Tanahashi right now, according to Numbers Magazine, the number one most popular wrestler in Japan. But some of these other numbers I saw that I just thought were real interesting. Sonata at number four. Like, mm. I think that we – don't realize exactly how popular he is over there. Yeah, man. He's been yeah. getting over huge with the crowds. And when we're seeing that with this kind of push he's getting with the Okada matches and his new gear yeah. and all that stuff. So I would have known that I had the wrong list if I started at the top instead of at the bottom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Okada. Three, was, was Osprey in the top 10 there? Osprey is actually not in the top 10. He's number 22. Wow. That's surprisingly low. Here's one that's real surprising. Well, not maybe to some it's not that surprising, but um, 
Beneath Will Osprey at number 28, Jay White. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's real interesting because we talk about top gaijins over New Japan, and 28's not terrible, but, I mean, I would have imagined with the run he had and all that, like, again, he is a heel, but that's surprising me. 28 for Jay White. I mean, I'm not surprised. If they're saying the most popular, I mean, they've done a great job of making Jay one of the most hated guys in the company, so it doesn't surprise me too much that people are not picking him as their most popular or their most favorite. But look at some of these other names, like uh, at 18, Ishii, and at 17, Liger, higher than, you know, the former IWGP champion. I think that's interesting, yeah. you know, to say the least. But, yeah, Tanahashi voted the most popular wrestler in Japan. Um, Naito's been at the top of that list, like I said, for so many years. Um, just very telling, you know, where they're, where they're at with Tanahashi, you know, as far as the fan base is concerned. But um, you guys can check out the full list. It's it's out there uh, online. And uh, my apologies for reading the wrong <laughs> list the first time. Um, for you gamers that are out there, Fire Pro Wrestling uh, is doing a Steam and PlayStation Network sale. Uh, they have significantly reduced the uh, packages for all the downloadable content related to New Japan. I mean, it's like a quarter of the price right now, and that's going to uh, run through July 9th. So if you want to pick that up for a, a really reduced price, that's available right now. Um, and then the free match of the week for New Japan is the match between Okada and Tanahashi during the A Block Finals of G126. Um, it is the free match of the week. Uh, it's one of my favorite matches of the year between those two guys. They did go to a 30-minute time limit draw. But I think the pace they worked, it might be one of my favorite Okada Tanahashi matches of all time. Really yeah, good match. That match was incredible. And then um, we have a few interviews and podcasts that uh, have, that came out over the past week. So John Moxley did an interview with New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's a two-part interview. You can read that on uh, NJPW1972, talking about working in Japan and the differences between there and where he's worked in the past. Very enlightening stuff. Um, also, Will Ospreay has been doing the media rounds this past week. So he did an uh, a episode of Wrestling Observer Radio. He did an episode of Edge and Christian's podcast. He also did an interview with SportsIllustrated.com. And I got to tell you, I, I listened to, the, uh, to both podcasts, and I thought some of the stuff he said was really enlightening. Yeah, he came off like a real bay face, too, on both of those um, podcasts. So it's just kind of cool seeing a guy that kind of had a bad reputation online kind of turning things around and uh, coming off like a true uh, champ there. Yeah, and as somebody who had a run-in with him that was kind of negative as from a fan perspective, but also to hear him talk at, you know, um, just very openly about his issues with mental health and depression, and that's definitely something that I struggle with myself. It kind of get, uh, puts things in a different perspective, I would say, and kind of maybe makes me realize, you know what, these guys are real humans, you know, and they do deal with things on mm. a daily basis. And sometimes we kind of miss that side of them. You have a bad interaction with them. Maybe they're having a bad day. Right. Maybe yeah. they're going through something, you know what I mean? But um, I thought some of the stuff he said was very – and it did seem like one at one point he said uh, to um, I don't know it's just interesting I've never like from outside of wrestling I've never really liked Will Ospreay to be honest with you because he, I've seen him do stupid stuff on the internet and then him be like I do stupid stuff on the internet and then I say to myself that's the kind of thing I say about myself <laughs> and then when he was like, I don't really like the person I am and he's just saying it so casually to Dave and um, and uh, Alvarez yeah Brian. 
And they're like, they're trying to console him, but he's just so like matter of fact about it. And it seems like he's getting a little bit of gravity about himself, maybe maturing a bit. And I think for a lot of like wrestling fans and people, they, they can relate to that sort of struggle, sort of like the Mauro Ronaldo stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I thought that those interviews were really good. And I hope that will continues down this path of, you know, getting healthy mentally and, and achieving his dreams and does well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. I think a lot of people have these expectations of professional wrestlers. Like they'll say the wrong thing sometimes on Twitter or they'll say the wrong thing that's like filmed by a fan or, you know, they just have a a mental, you know, fuck up moment. And it's like people have that, but for some reason people hold professional wrestlers in this weird, you know, higher regard than like real people. Um, But it's good to actually hear that like, just to see them as just real people. Like, I think it's important, especially like with the vacuum of, of wrestling Twitter. <laughs> yeah. When, when he said he didn't like himself as a person, but when he's in that ring, he's able to do the thing that he loves and it makes all that go away. It reminded me of like what Scott Hall said in the past about how, when he becomes the bad guy, then all his issues in his life kind of go away. And I feel like for a lot of fans, wrestling is that way. It's sort of an escape from reality and there could be negatives to that, but it's such a positive thing too. It's an art form that we all enjoy. And like I said, as being someone who kind of deals with some of those same issues, I can relate to that in a, in a big way. And so it, it really made me have a different respect for Will Ospreay. So I th- if you haven't checked that stuff out, I would say check it out. Um, Jay White did an interview with Fox Sports Australia this past week, kind of hyping up uh, their uh, show that they the shows that they're doing in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, he had some very enlightening stuff to say there. So definitely check that out. Um, Rocky Romero, who's always a great interview was on fansided.com this past week. He did an interview and Kevin Kelly did an interview with, uh, the Miami Herald talking about the state of pro wrestling, WWE, new Japan, ring of honor, all the different uh, facets of the industry. And I thought that was very good as well. And finally, Jeff Cobb did two interviews, one with talk is Jericho. And then another with, uh, the Winkley uh, podcast, which they're a major podcast that's out there. I listened to one from Talk is Jericho, and I thought it was hilarious. He talked about when he was a kid and he signed up for amateur wrestling for the first time in high school. He didn't know that amateur wrestling was a thing. He thought it was pro wrestling in high school. Yeah, I heard that interview also. And yeah, he was coming like, no, you know, where's the ring? Where, 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 are, the, where are the chairs? You know, where, where's the Titan Tron? He's like, I'm not, I wasn't a very smart kid. So like after a few weeks, I thought, well, this is how we start out, but eventually I get to choose my entrance gear and like my, my music. My music. <laughs> <laughs> but a uh, very good interview. So check that out uh, on the Talk is Jericho podcast. And then we got uh, news outside of New Japan. So this past weekend, Ring of Honor, Best in the World. That's a show that me and Jeremy watched. Did you get to check that out, uh, Chris? Uh, no, that was actually, I normally would because I'm a, a big um fan of of roh uh unlike a lot of people these days um but i've just been so behind uh, between getting caught up with uh, new japan and then also uh, you know having this trip down to melbourne and these world series wrestling shows and the rest but i am in the process of getting caught up i'll, uh, I'll hopefully hopefully make it to that that show in the the next week or so i'd say so some of the notes related to new japan dragon lee was in action against matt taven he did lose in that match, uh, building up the storyline between his brother Roosh and Matt Taven. So, Dragon Actually, it was uh, Dalton Castle. What did I say? Matt Taven. Oh, my, I, oh, 
I always do that. I always confuse <laughs> Dalton Castle and Matt Taven. I don't know why. Yeah, because uh, Roosh beat Dalton, squashed him at um, MSG, and Correct. Dalton's yeah. trying to get uh, revenge now. So he beat uh, Dragon Lee with Roosh's move, move the bullhorns to drop below Shibata drop kick in the corner. So they did have Dragon Lee uh, lose clean, and then in the main event match of the night, which I think only went like seven or eight minutes, Jeff Cobb did lose uh, in his uh, Ring of Honor title bid against Matt Taven which I got to tell you, I was not happy about because they built Jeff Cobb up as an undefeated monster. And then they had him lose on pay-per-view in a nothing kind of squash match almost right before the um, G1 climax, which you got to figure we knew he was going to lose because he was going to the G1. and He's going to eat losses. But my question is this, why did they book themselves into that corner if they built Jeff Cobb up to pay nothing off? Right, yeah, it seems like a big uh, misuse of Jeff Cobb there. Yeah, and I've been very excited for some of the things that they've done with guys like Dragon Lee and Jeff Cobb, but to have him lose on a main stage like that, that seemed a little short-sighted uh, to me. Yeah, um, it I sounded was- like it was meant to be more a longer match. I heard they were running a bit um, long by the time they got to it, so it was right. probably a bit bit shorter in the end than they would have liked. Yeah. Um, I do but, think yeah. it's a mistake. They had a lot of the, the talent like Bandito, Dragon Lee, Jeff Cobb, some of these guys that they might not have long-term deals with lose on this major show back to back to back. And they seem to be putting over a lot of the ring of honor talent that they know are going to be there for the long haul, which I don't think is a good idea for their business long-term. It seems like they're almost like a, like someone who got spurned in a relationship. And so now they're <laughs> sabotaging their other relationships to kind of protect themselves. And, uh, you know, you can't live that way. <laughs> right. I mean, clearly, yes. It doesn't sound healthy. Yeah. You know, the elite, walk, the, the elite left and all that stuff. But, you know, they did bring some great guys in, but they're not utilizing them to their full potential. And, you know, beating them like this on pay-per-view is not the right answer for that. You know, if you actually, you know, push them and grow business, then these guys would most likely stay. But if you mishandle them and then you have this show that was poorly attended and your, your attendance and business goes down. Of course, these guys are going to leave and try to find uh, better opportunities. Yeah. And that was yeah. the other point. The attendance was extremely low. We don't have official numbers, but we watched that show and the attendance was very, very low. Now the good news. It's a big venue for them there. Like I was surprised they were still running that uh, at the moment, like compared to the, the prior um, Baltimore venue that they used to run uh, pretty regularly for a good amount of years. So I thought that was a bit weird that they're still running the big one. Maybe they have like sort of long-term agreements that they've made with various venues. But yeah, I thought that was a bit hopeful. You know what the interesting thing was? It seemed like in the semi-main event, they did the Villain Enterprises six-man tag. And after the Marty match, the crowd cleared out. And I think that that might also tell you something about like the fact that I do believe villain enterprises got the largest reception of anybody on that card that night. And then after they wrestled and they went to the main event, the crowd like seemed like it was half the size of what it had been previous to that. Um, Interesting. The, good, the good news though, they were completely sold out the next night for the TV taping. So that's good news. Yeah. I heard a that lot was of the great... ECW arena one. Yes. Yes. The 2300 yeah. arena. I heard a lot of great things, you know, they had Roosh and dragon Lee versus the Briscoes. I heard that was really good. And then I just heard overall good reactions from uh, the TV taping. So that's a good thing. They did do. Yeah. A, they did do an angle during the villain enterprises match where at the end of the match, they uh, basically uh, did a surprise where, Flip Gordon is now the newest member of Villain Enterprises, 
However, at the end of the match, he ended up doing a 450 splash onto a table, and the table is way too close to the post, and he overshot it a bit, but it's not his fault. It was too close. Uh, and it does look like there's, there may have been a potential uh, elbow injury sustained because of that spot. I heard it was a dislocation, but it, it was yeah. fine. They got it sorted, and he's, he's going to be fine. Yeah, it was a dislocated elbow. They ended up popping it back in place uh, backstage, and he was on the TV tapings. He didn't wrestle, but he did come out with Villain Enterprises. Um, and a bit of good news during the TV tapings, Alex Shelley made his return from retirement. <sighs> I was so happy to hear this. Jeremy and I were just putting over Alex Shelley on our last podcast. Yeah, I'm a big Alex Shelley fan too, and I'm happy to see that he's back in action as well. He's going to be uh, – he wants to challenge the winner of Jay Lethal and Matt Taven, so he wants a, a Ring of Honor title shot. Before we move Man, on, uh, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but – you know, things that the attendance for shows have been very, very low for Ring of Honor ever since the Madison Square Garden shows. Anything, any quick ideas of what they can do to try to turn this around? I think they, uh, like, I've I've been uh, watching their their product. I've I've been watching the TV coming out of Madison Square Garden and it's actually been, for the most part, very good stuff. Like the first proper episode they had after Madison Square Garden, they, they laid a lot of seeds and uh, it, overall, I just thought it was a great show. So I think what they need to do is, is just continue to focus on, on good storytelling um, and, and like put together matches that are, you know, good solid feuds and, and like just focus on, on what brought them to the dance, you know, like, to me, ROH at its best is like it's, it's just it's the it's kind of like Crockett from the '80s, in my opinion. To where it's like you just get real solid wrestling, you don't get too over the top uh, craziness in terms of your your feuds and things like that. It's kind of basic sometimes, but that's almost like the beauty of it. So I think the more they can focus on that, the better off they'll be. Um, and yeah, maybe do a bit more to build around Rush, I guess. Uh, there seemed to be quite a bit of excitement around him. Um, and also, yeah, capitalize, uh, continue to build Jeff Cobb back up after this one. I don't think it's necessarily all over for him just after this one loss. De- definitely agree with you, Chris. Um, you know, Ring of Honor um, got its reputation for being a work rate company and just all the great wrestlers and matches that happened, you know, especially in the early 2000s. And so I think they need to go back to their roots, um, try and have put on, you know, make some matches that will have the potential to be great matches, um, push these guys that have popularity like Jeff Cobb, Bandito, Brody King, PCO, um, because these guys are drawing in other companies and in indies. So use their popularity, put them to the top, put the belt on the guys that are getting the, the biggest reactions and go from there. Um, one last thing before we move on to Ring of Honor, uh, from Ring of Honor, uh, there are rumors right now that when Roosh's contract is up, he has interest in going to WWE. I don't know what that means for Ring of Honor, but I just want to throw that out there. That is a rumor that's out there right now. Um, in other news, let's head down south to CMLL. So a couple bits of news. So uh, Jushin Thunder Liger is going to make his final appearance uh, for C- in Mexico for CMLL. Uh, he'll it's be making- huge. Yeah, it's going to be huge. He's, uh, they just announced the match. It's going to be a four-way match, which, by the way, CMLL made the, fe- the official press announcement that they have – created a new type of match <laughs> the four ways 
yeah, apparently they've never had a four-way match in CMLL. It's a very traditional company. So they said that this was an invention that they came up with. Like, it's never existed anywhere else ever before. <laughs> but uh, Liger will be uh, in that historic match against three of the biggest legends from CMLL, Caristico, Negro Casas, and Ultimo Guerrero in a, in a four-way match on July 19th. 2009. That should be a great match. Yeah, um, and I hear fun. it's going to be a bit different where you not in, instead of just having all four guys in the ring, it's like two in the ring at a time yeah, um, and then rules, two on the yeah. outside. Yeah, but I so imagine I think it's going to be um, like lucha rules, so probably when one guy goes out, another person can probably come in. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it'll be two out of three falls, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. We'll have to wait and see. I, I didn't catch that, but... Um, you know, those are three of the biggest legends that are there. They all have history with Blaggers. So. Yeah, that's what I really liked about it. <laughs> Very excited. And then this past Sunday, um, our boy, Harai Kawato, also known as Kawato-san, <laughs> faced off against Audaz for the CMLL Super Lightweight World title. And I didn't have high hopes for Kawato, but guess what? He pulled up the upset, and he is the new reigning champion of CMLL. Yes. Madness. So- for those of you that want Kawato back soon, I don't think that's going to be happening because he's got a title now and looks like he's going to be in for a lengthy title reign. According to the Cubs fan on Twitter, um, this is going to be made available uh, for viewing next week. So you'll be able to see this on uh, Sunday, this upcoming week. So if you want to see that, it should be up on YouTube. I'm really looking forward to this match. Kawato did make some press comments saying that his goals going forward are to defend the title at least two times once in Arena Mexico and another time in Japan. And the rumors right now are that his uh, estimated time of re- for return from excursion are late 2019, early 2020. So, you know, that might not seem like a lot of title defenses to most of you listening, but keep in mind, people don't defend their titles very often, if ever, in Lucha Libre. So two title defenses between now and early next year would actually be pretty uh, phenomenal for him. Yeah. It was funny with Kawato because he had a lot of teething issues with CMLL. Um, they had a bit of a rough start, and then he just got to the point where I think the crowd kind of, like, rejected him. Um, so I was quite concerned, like, a little while ago. I haven't uh, seen much of his more recent stuff, but I'm hoping this means that he's really turned it around um, and, and gotten on track because there can, for certain guys, be a, a big um, – stylistic difference between the young lion style and the cmll style so it, it i know he was having trouble catching guys but uh you know as as funny as that sounds but he was having trouble catching guys with with all the dives they do in lucha but um some of the videos i've seen of him recently seems like he's actually like really becoming more accustomed to that style so i can't wait yeah. for him to come back I was such a fan of Kawato as a, as a young lion. I just thought he had so much upside. So I was like, how is he not lighting the world on fire? But it sounds like he's, he's really starting to, to get it going now, which is great. And there was, there was a show uh, this past weekend in Rev Pro, some of the results. So Gabriel Kidd, Kenneth Halfpenny, and Sean Jackson defeated the team of Brendan White, Clark Connors, and Carl Fredericks. You may know Carl... Uh, Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors as two of the LA Dojo Lions. Uh, Dan McKee defeated Hikaleo, who's also of New Japan. Um, Shingo Takagi defeated Michael Oku in singles action. There was a four-way title match for the undisputed Rev Pro British Tag Team titles. Josh Bodum and, Cham- and Shaw Samuels defeated the teams of Aussie Open, 
LIJ, the team of Bushi and Evil, and Team White Wolf, which is A Kid and Carlos Romo. This was sounds a title like it'd be a great match. Yeah, yeah it sounds, it sounds, like a lot sounds of fun. awesome. And you know, Aussie Open just won those titles back in May from LIJ, so this was a short title reign. But uh, yeah, new new champions. Um, in singles match in the semi-main event, we had Tetsuya Naito going over MK McKinnon. I did see some of the um, uh, the build-up videos they had for this, and it seemed like McKinnon uh, was really trying to step up here. I don't know how good the match was, but Naito did make his way out to the ring carrying Soul's Edge from Soul Calibur fame, which was pretty awesome, by the way. And then um, in the main event, Zack Sabre Jr. retained his title against Sonata for the British heavyweight title. Um, I haven't seen any reviews or any ratings on any of this, but when the show becomes available, I will be sure to check it out, see if there's anything that, that is recommended. Um, in other news, this past weekend, we had AEW Fighter Fest, which me and Jeremy mm-hmm. were there live in attendance. And I watched John, it. I watched it on the television. Great show. Uh, yeah. J- John Moxley uh, defeated Joey Janela in a unsanctioned lights out death match after the show was officially quote unquote over. <laughs> and that was cool. What a vicious match. Yeah, that match was insane. Those guys are, are totally nuts. But you know what? Honestly, it wasn't quite as dangerous as I thought it was going to be. I thought they worked really safely as they possibly could. Um, still a lot of crazy spots with the barbed wire boards and the thumb thumbtacks, you know, dropping uh, Janela uh, feet first on the thumb thumbtacks. <laughs> that was such a great visual. And uh, the crazy spot with Janela doing the, the elbow drop off that uh, the, the WrestleMania or the SummerSlam 98 ladder uh, onto mm-hmm. Moxley uh, on the outside through the tables. You know that that gave me memories of Chris, mm. the Takata the Takata hand match from the late '80s. <laughs> Even though it's not quite the same thing, like just the kind of like uh, psychology there, like attacking the foot, attacking the hand, like it just kind of gave me those vibes. But I love that match. Uh, it's definitely on the excursion match of the year list as of right now. I gave it four and a half. I loved that match. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time there. Yeah, it was a great show. And we, we saw a lot of our good friends. Who, who do we interact yeah, with? Yeah, you know, our, our Georgia crew, uh, Kevin and Megan and uh, Jennifer, Rachel, Lauren. Uh, it was great hanging out with those guys. Uh, William, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, so, yeah, it's always great uh, meeting up with our fellow listeners and fans, wrestling fans uh, from Georgia and hanging out with them. Yep, and William. Yes, I mentioned him. Oh, my bad. And <laughs> Zach Porter. Yeah, all sorts of people. We saw so many people. It's crazy. Um, in other AEW news, so in two weeks, fight for the fall. Before we move on, I just wanted to get you guys' take on sure. that pre-show. I thought that pre-show was maybe one of the worst pre-shows I've seen in my life. And then once the show got going, it was great. But that pre-show, ooh. Yeah, I mean, the pre-show is pretty rough. And we kind of talked about this on the way home. Uh, you know, the whole purpose of a pre-show should, should be to kind of gain interest of people who are not familiar yeah. with your product. This is like free on Facebook, on YouTube. This is where people are sampling it and like right. you're putting your worst foot forward. Like and, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I've seen some arguments with people like, Oh, well, the whole show is free, but at the end of the day, they still have to sign up for BR live. So that yeah. pre-show was to get them. If you watched on YouTube, like that was supposed to be your incentive to go switch over Something for BR Live, and you know, you know, the best friends match was really good, and that that probably should have been the main event of the pre-show. But then, you know, you I have, think that should have been the only match of the pre-show, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Nakazawa stuff. I mean, we we were at the CEO show last year where they had that whole Nakazawa Jabali stuff, and it was funny. 
Um, but, you know, personally, I think that should have been a dark match and left off the yeah. card. And then uh, the whole um, Ali and um, uh, what's her name? Uh, the librarian. Um, Lila Bates. Bates. Yeah, the librarian thing, is it's not getting over with the mass audience. And Lila Bates just wasn't at Ali's level and it wasn't a great match whatsoever. The only thing I'll say about it, my dad, I told him I was there and he should check out the show. Once we started watching the pre-show, he was actually having trouble uh, getting it to play. And I was like, hey, you might want to hold off to the re- the regular show actually starts. So that's the only thing I'll really say about it. <laughs> there, um, I'm worried that it took people who were ready to watch the main show and were like, let's give this a go. And then they watched the pre-show and it actually had the opposite effect of like, oh, actually, maybe I'm not going to watch this show. Yeah. Uh, in two weeks, Fight for the Fallen is going to be uh, taking place live. Again, free for U.S. Uh, subscribers for BR Live. It'll be available for nine ninety nine for international viewers. Um, but there was news this week that WWE has decided to uh, air Evolve's 10th year anniversary live on the WWE Network opposite Fight for the Fallen, which actually caused a little bit of a stir on Twitter. Yeah, you know, uh, Kenny Omega came out pretty much saying, you know, talking about WWE accepting the blood money and now that they're trying to stop a uh, benefits show. Uh, I think Kenny was being a little bit uh, a little bit dramatic there. I mean, this Evolve show has been planned out for a while. Uh, it's the Evolve 10th anniversary and Evolve has been working with WWE and we've been hearing rumors of Evolve being on the network eventually. Um, and so I think, so this was kind of in the plans, but at the end, Still, don't you think it's a bit of a coincidence here? Like I know the Evolve show had been planned for forever, but for yeah. them to pick this one on this date to be the one that they put live uh, at this time, like I don't think it's just pure coincidence here. Well, well, my take on it would be this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because it's business and I, you know, maybe I'm just a greedy American, but at the end of the day, like if my biggest competition was going to run a show, I might run something opposite of them. Now I don't think it's quite the same as running survivor series opposite Starcade necessarily, but I see what you're saying. Um, but I guess the, the other- issue of controversy controversy here is more so if if the you know competition show was a, a charity show just for gun violence victims you know that's what they're running head to head with like it's not like they're just running head to head with any other show it's like well, uh, well here's here's uh, my thing with that um, now when this was originally announced all they had said previously was that the fight for fallen that a portion of the proceeds an undisclosed portion of the proceeds would go towards victims of gun violence, which is noble. There's that's great, but we didn't know how much of that money would be given to them. Now they have co- uh, come out on their YouTube channel and said that they're going to make sure that a hundred percent of the proceeds go towards victims of gun violence. Uh, that was something they had not disclosed previously. They only announced that after this, uh, opposition was brought up now how they're going to do that and whether that's a real promise i don't really know but i'm not going to doubt them but that is a lofty thing to say but at the same time um you know it's not complete and i'm not doubting them i'm not saying that they're wrong but you know at the end of the day even though they're giving the proceeds to the actual show to victims of gun violence and that's great they are still trying to build a base for their br live customers so that they can sell pay-per-views to them so at the end of the day it is still business that they're trying to build for themselves for the future and Vince is trying to curtail that and I'm not a WWE defender I'm just saying I do think it was a little bit dramatic that the uh the uh post that Kenny put up and I think it's telling that yeah. he took it down right away because 
even though he said it was because he was met with so much negativity, I got to wonder if maybe it was management who was like, Kenny, what are you doing? <laughs> and here's what I'll say. Yeah, it's a bad look for them, I think. And I, I do agree with you on, on the front that, like, you, if, if you're saying, hey, you're taking away, you're trying to take away from proceeds that we're going to, you know, give to, to victims of gun violence, like... Are we talking about one show in Florida versus a show at, uh, in Philly at the ECW Arena? And we're only talking about the live house being the element of the, the charity donation? Like, I don't think one is necessarily going to affect the other in any way from that perspective. Right. Here's one thing I'll say. I think at the end of the day, most wrestling fans are probably going to end up watching Fight for the Fallen live anyway and catch the Evolve on, on demand later. And I think it's good for WWE to put this on the channel. It Sure, it's reactionary. It is. It absolutely is to what AEW is doing. But for Evolve, it's a great thing because they're actually getting aired for you know on the network and they talked about it for the longest time that so they might be getting put on the network. So this might be the first step in that. And if that happens, I think that's great. So, you know, I think it's win-win all around. I think the controversy was a little overblown, but uh, um, speaking of WWE, we got some news here. So they did do two shows in Tokyo this past weekend. Um, They ran out of what sumo hall. Yeah. So, um, you know, some of the, the, the big matches, uh, Seth Rollins did face Nakamura on the first night, which we did hear that that was a great match, believe it or not. Um, although I saw some people, they had a match in Singapore and I saw some of the fans kind of crapping on it in the, in, uh, ch- just giving some like, you know, kind of bad chance in, during the Singapore match. Um, but then, um, they also ran a match with the club as well as, uh, triple H. You actually put up a really funny tweet, uh, Jeremy on our page. Yeah, pretty much. It was, you know, triple H, AJ, um, gals and Anderson. And I was like, it's great to see you. Um, Hunter, Sean, Nash, and Hall back together. <laughs> Which was funny. And then uh, the next night, I know Triple H teamed with Nakamura. They actually did pretty good business. I heard that the ticket sales were about the equivalent of what New Japan did during the Best of the Super Juniors for those tours. So that's pretty cool. Well, actually, the Best of the Super Juniors tour was a little bit more. A little bit more? Yes. Okay. Um, and then um, yeah, they also... WWE runs is a bit scaled down, isn't it? Yeah. They also there was some also interesting news. I don't want to discuss it too much, but uh, in a, a very shocking turn of events, WWE has now named Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff as the creative directors for both Raw and SmackDown. Which is what is happening? <laughs> so uh, take that for what it is. Wait, <laughs> when I read it. But the one thing I want to talk about with WWE, so we talked a little bit last week about the controversy between Rollins and Osprey, but that was just heating up when we reported that on the air. Um, Suddenly, once we got off the air over the past week, this thing has really heated up and been the talk of the Twitter world. Um, And then Seth Rollins proceeded after feuding with um, uh, Will Osprey on Twitter. Uh, He did a shoot interview with, who was that with? Was it Sports Illustrated? Yeah and kind of buried John Moxley and kind of buried uh, a lot of wrestling outside of New Japan. This was the talk of, of the wrestling world. What were you guys' thoughts on what was happening there? It came off so bad. Yeah, real bad. And, you know, they're supposed to be best friends and brothers, and he pretty much kind of buried him and pulled the old Vince McMahon line, took his ball, and went home. And that's pretty much everything Seth's been doing on online the last couple of weeks has, has been a bad look for him. 
yeah. Yeah, so the stuff with him, if you guys want to check that out, it's all over Twitter. You can go see all the mentions and everything like that. Um, but uh, Osprey did end up capitalizing off of this and came out with his own shirt that uh, is the uh, the little guy shirt. So I think, uh, <laughs> you know, taking a page from the Young Bucks is probably going to make some money off this controversy. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to Impact. So um, – we all know that uh, the new that in Dallas next week is the G1 Supercard, or I'm sorry, the G1 uh, opening day in Dallas. Uh, the next day on Sunday, Slammiversary is sold out, emanating live from Dallas, Texas as well. So that's a great thing for them. But there are rumors that there might they might be leaving the Pursuit Channel, and there is a potential signing with access television for impact that might be the new home for impact and it's pretty much from the reports we're hearing and what we've seen it might be a done deal that'd well, be great yeah i'm hearing there's just still some big kind of decisions that need to happen a big deals that need to happen behind the scenes for that deal to be finalized because they were expecting to be on access um pretty much a couple of weeks after slamversary but um, it's not quite happening just yet, but um, they are close, but there's still some things that need to happen for that deal to happen. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You already have New Japan on access. You have uh, Women of Wrestling on access. So they could add impact to that, um, that new Saturday block, and you have a, you have a block of uh, Women of Wrestling, New Japan, and then impact. Yeah, so if that yeah. happens, that would be a great thing. I know um, we, when we were watching Best of the World just the other day, um, I told you and Rich that I had heard some rumors that they were actually about to sign a, a contract uh, with a new television provider. And if it does end up being Access, that would be great for everybody involved. So I hope that happens. Um, and then we're going to close out the news with a couple bits of news from Pro, from the Pro world. So um, – this actually happened a few weeks ago or maybe even a month ago, but um, K-Dojo is no longer. They are now 2AW Wrestling, Active Advanced Pro Wrestling. And uh, <laughs> this name change apparently comes from the fact that uh, that uh, Takamichinoku is no longer with them. And with him leaving K-Dojo, they wanted to uh, distance themselves from his name and his legacy. So they are now 2AW Wrestling. I'm not a fan of this decision. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Doesn't know. have quite a ring to it, does it? No, not at all. And then um, last night, apparently, I don't know. I, I've only heard some rumors and some reports. I saw the cage match ratings, but um, apparently, Kento Miyahara defended the Triple Crown Championship against y- Yoshitatsu, and mm-hmm. I'm hearing that this might be a five star match. Yeah, Yoshitatsu has been pulling it out during this old Japan run. I think everyone just like thought that he was awful based off of that questionable new japan run but like his he's been doing so well in all japan and yeah i i've heard that a lot of people had surprisingly high expectations for that match and it's, it's great to hear that it, it was potentially great like i really want to see this yeah i want to check that out also and then to close out the show um this past week um new japan pro wrestling legend and pro Rezu legend Ricky Choshu had his second retirement match um, in Corken Hall at Power Hall, um, where Ricky Choshu teamed up with the likes of uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Shiro Koshinaka. They took on the team of um, Togi Makabe and, uh, and Tatsumi Fujinami and uh, the great Muta. And... Um, the, the opposing team won the match when Makabe did a King Kong knee drop onto Ricky Choshu to send him into retirement. 
Uh, but this is the final match of Ricky Joshu's career. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to see this just yet, but it seemed to be a very, very emotional moment. And um, I figured since we had Chris on the line, he's very familiar with Ricky Choshu's career. And I thought we could talk about the impact that he's had on New Japan and pro Resu just in general. Oh, huge. Um, I just wanted to say first, I, I hope that we get another sweet comeback match against Onita. um yeah i remember last time he retired he said he'd only uh, come back if business gets bad so i wonder if it's the same case again we'll see if new japan comes calling um but yeah honestly a dude that just has had um so much uh, just integral to the the history of new japan um and just the the changing style of, of japanese wrestling as well um like for people that, that didn't really follow him from like the the epic feuds that he had in in new japan in the 80s with like fujinami and enoki um to then when he jumped over to all japan and had like that all japan invasion feud against um tenru and jumbo like it's some of the, the best stuff. Like I actually had been uh, just watching all of his old Japan stuff uh, a little while back. And it, it's again, just molten crowds and dude just had so much charisma. Um, and, and in terms of a wrestling style, like we really wouldn't have guys like Ishii um, around today. If it wasn't for um, Choshu, obviously him being a, a main trainer of his, um, but yeah, like f- even few people today, like capture just like the, 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 like sort of heart of the audience, the way that, that Ricky Choshu did. Um, and yeah, obviously everything through the nineties and then, uh, towards the end with the, early, the, um, early two thousands, but yeah, just, I, I was, I wish that he got a send off like Tenru did like that big, Sumo Hall show that they did for Tenru's retirement where Tenru worked at Carter. Um, seemed like Ricky Choshu went out in a bit more of a low-key way. Um, I don't know, but either way, like I feel like New Japan probably should have done more to, to say goodbye and thank you to Ricky Choshu than they did. Well, the problem is they did. It was in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's going to be a bit of a step down from that one. But, you know, <laughs> some of my thoughts on Choshu, aside from everything that Chris has just mentioned, Choshu is maybe the greatest booker of his generation. Yeah. Now, you did mention the terrible run that he had in the late 2000s. And we all know that at a certain point, if, you know, once you reach a certain age and, you, and you're out of touch, you might lose it. And, you know, Choshu did lose it, but he also was coming. Well, in- when was he asked when was he asked? Like, like when, when was he ousted? Like, when did Choshu leave as as Booker? Because I feel like a lot of people think like New Japan's business kind of went down straight up from the early 2000s. But they still did pretty good up until like I want to say 2004, 2005 was probably really where it collapsed. And that, I thought that was when he left. Yeah, he left around that time, around the Anokiism period. There was a lot of uh, issues between him and the creative direction that Anoki and different people wanted to go in. But, you know, if you look at his, his 90s run, the creation of the, the G1 Climax, the pushing of young stars, putting over young stars over himself in the old guard like Fujinami. I mean, he was... A- I mean, that G1 that he put over everyone? Yes, yes. And I mean... 
Uh, I love his G1 run in 96. The finals between him and Chonu, even though it's not the greatest match in the world, I love that match and I love that run. And, you know, the, the, the effect on business that he had in the 80s cannot be understated. You know, the, the reality is the 80s might be the hottest period for Purezu when it comes to business. And where Chono went was where the business went. When he was in uh, New Japan in the early 80s, they were at, in their boom period. When he went to All Japan, they became the number one company. When he came back in like 86, 87, New Japan was on top again. Um, for newer fans who don't know Chono, they don't realize his impact. He was like the rock star of all rock stars when it comes to Japanese professional wrestling. Like Chono was, or I'm sorry, uh, um, Choshu was that guy. And he, I'd say just below Anita, but that's like, <laughs> well you know what you you might have a really good argument there because what he what he did with fmw is like unparalleled well like it's crazy but um you know choshu changed the style of professional wrestling we went from those long ardent you know grappling matches with inoki and you know that classic you know uh nwa you know sports centric style in all japan to what they called high spurt wrestling with choshu where he was having these 15, 20, 20 minute matches in the main event that could just end with a lariat and come out mm. of nowhere. And nobody- just like the pace, like the sprint of these matches was like unheard of at the time. At the time. And, and you watch them now and they might not be the highest work rate in the world, but no one had been doing that before. He changed the world of professional wrestling and you wouldn't have guys like Kenny Omega and, and, and Will Ospreay without Ricky Choshu's influence on professional wrestling. Like you just wouldn't. And so, yeah. um, yeah, like he's one of the greatest legends that has ever existed in Japanese professional wrestling. And, um, you know, I'm going to be sad to see him go. But uh, if you haven't seen his stuff on New Japan World, I would say check it out. His stuff in All Japan, stuff with him and Tenryu, you've got to see it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen much uh, Ricky Choshi aside from a few matches that Josh has shown us. Um, so, yeah, I definitely have to do my, my homework on him and, you know, catch up on some of his matches on New Japan World. Yeah, some great stuff, guys. Great stuff. So that's going to do it for the news. Before we go, Chris, what's your plugs? And also, since you put me on the spot on your show, pimp something that you like. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even planned to do this because this is, this is your show. You're turning the tables on me now. Dang. Well, first of all, everyone make sure to uh, check out uh, at Grown Men Pod. That's our main uh, bit of the Twitter where you can see all of our latest shows linked. Uh, you can also check out all of the amazing uh, Twitter memeing that uh, Jeremy or James Vanderbeek does on there. Um, you can find me at Chris Things uh, on the Twitter, but also on the Instagram. All my best stuff comes on the Instagram. So if you like yourself some wacky wrestling art, uh, that's the place to find me. In terms of uh, cool shit, as, as we refer to it uh, on the the Grown Men Pod, uh, this is uh, coming a little bit left of of field. <laughs> Um, so I'm kind of like scratching my head a little bit here right now, to be honest. Uh, I, I did a, a cool shit on our show that I, uh, I don't necessarily want to repeat, uh, cause I don't want to be repetitive here. So dang. Give us something. 
all right. All right. So if you were ever in Melbourne, Australia, so we're really narrowing this down into niche right now. I hope that some of our listeners out there one day come to, to Melbourne, Australia. Um, so everyone goes to the main spots. You know, you go to the city, you, you go to the, you know, cool area of like Brunswick and stuff like that. But I discovered the coolest suburb of Melbourne. It's like a suburban Melbourne area. You go there on the train. It's called Balaclava. And it is like just the, the coolest mixture of like Jewish culture and hipster culture kind of like merged into one where you can just get the world's best bagels and the world's best coffee. And yeah, I, I could not put it over enough. That was my most recent magical discovery from my trip in Melbourne. So I wanted to put that over for everyone at home there. Uh, most of whom probably won't be relevant at all. But if any of you ever do go to Melbourne, check out Balaclava. Well, I got to tell you guys, Chris's show is maybe one of my favorite shows that I listen to. He, him and Jeremy, they're hilarious. They do one of the best <laughs> podcasts on all of the internet. So definitely check that out. And, uh, you know, Chris, thank you for coming on the show. Jeremy, take us home. Yeah, Chris, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming out and up and chatting with Thanks us. for having me, guys. Yeah. So uh, next week we'll be back um, for a review of the first night of Climax in Dallas. Um, you know, we'll be giving you our live takes and opinions from that show. Uh, make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also join us in the Wrestling Squared Circle group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. And every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and our guest Chris Bryant. On Thursday, we have NXT, Then, Now, and Forever. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Mike. And then on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd and Amy. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. The world will be different next week. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. <laughs>